This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side. Welcome to the program. Three hours, folks, of uh, information, discussion, talk, everything you need to live a healthier, happier life. Top of the morning to you. Man, have we got a great show for you today. Uh, Today is, by the way, Innovation Day and Almond Day. And in celebration of Ben, it's Do a Grouch a Favor Day. So take a hike. (laughs) Is that you, Benny? Hey, I got a great show. Um... But wow, a lot happened over the holiday weekend. Supreme uh, Court Justice Scalia dies. And now, all of Washington upside down. Seriously, folks, upside down. What do you do? Now you got to replace one of the most conservative and, I think, uh, the superior brain on the court. And uh, died of natural causes, apparently, in a ranch... Um, was it in Texas? Mar- Marfa, Texas. Marfa? I hardly know her. Right. Hey, you know what's weird? Uh, all of the sudden, can you imagine like being the host of a Supreme Court justice at your ranch? Just with your good buddy. Right. And then the next thing you know, he dies? Yeah. Oh, can you imagine? I <laughs> He can you imagine? Like really, you would be um little What did you feed him? <laughs> what happened? Oh, it's tragic. Really, I feel for the guy and then Was it the hush puppies? Oh no. Yeah, really. And then he calls what do you do? You he called the doctor in town. Do we resuscitate? Well, in the like there's no I, so I was reading in the in the county there was either there was like one corner and he wasn't available. Yeah. And so the actual process of Okay, this guy has died. Now what do we what's yeah. the next step? Yeah. It wasn't really followed yeah. because they just didn't have the people here to right. deal with it and that's led to some conspiracy theories right. and there we go. But then <laughs> and then then they said he it was really a cool thing. Then they said, Yeah, he's dead, you don't need to resuscitate, so just you know, just we'll prepare him. Well, and- first off, there was a uh, a government official was bird hunting, and they were wondering where Dick Cheney was. Oh, so once he wasn't involved, Dick in Cheney it, around we, here, we moved away from that situation. But, oh, uh, that's yeah. tragic. <laughs> then the guy makes a phone call. I mean, makes two or three calls. It's hard to get a hold of anyone in D.C. during the holiday. Yes, it is President's Day. We're celebrating presidents. Well, um, he was traveling without his normal U.S. Marshal Protection team, too. Oh, I didn't know that. See, and so then they made a few calls. Then they flew in a helicopter and secured everything, and game on. Then you've got the biggest battle in D.C. over who are you going to call? Yeah. Are we going to do this or not? President, absolutely, we're going to. Everyone's like, we feel horrible for the family. He was a great man. Let's immediately take our positions. I mean, that's the sad thing is he was an incredible man and a great, incredible resource and benefit to the country. And within an hour, it's a fight. Do we – the president's like, I'm nominating somebody. And uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, the the head of the Senate, what's he called? Majority leader. Majority leader. He's like, mm-mm-mm, not on my watch. He, 
He's the same guy after, uh, what, 2008? They went out and said, we're going to spend the next four years trying to keep uh, Obama from getting a second term. Yeah. So that failed too. Right. <laughs> this will be different because you can, you can, what's it called? You can lollygag. You can politicize this type of process yeah. to the point of just, I mean, Roger Bork, Robert Bork, Robert Bork. That was crazy in the 80s. They could go on forever. As a as a kid, I remember watching most of those confirmation hearings for some reason. No, I know. You, well, you, me too. Riveted. Well, and there was also only four channels. It was either cartoons or CNN. That's how my house worked for some reason. And then My Clarence mom's like, Thomas. turn that off. We don't need to have Clarence Thomas on the on the TV anymore. But it, it shook me because I sat there and I thought, you can just die. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't have to die of a prolonged disease. You can just go to a ranch, have a great time. They say the night before he was hilarious, making everyone laugh. He was like, I just, I need, I'm going to sleep. I need some sleep. Next thing you know, he's dead. You can just die. He's 79. Well, I know, but that's like not even old anymore, says the 46-year-old. <laughs> Who's looking like, oh, please, 79 would be great. But you can just die. Yeah. Just and, slip away peacefully in your sleep. <sighs> I've tried. I've tried. It doesn't work. But you can just die, Ben. Not to scare you. No, it wasn't like a request. No, yeah, but seriously, you can die. <laughs> I'm like the least likely one to die. So in this room, you mean? Yeah, you guys are are pretty close up there. So but, I can't. He just said that. Yeah, that's rude. But this shouldn't be a surprise. Most of any appointments that President Obama has made has they've almost all have a difficulty getting through whatever the approval process is. Yeah. Well, except well, except they all made it. Well, no, but, they haven't. Well, no, but like they they've appointed. Somebody for him eventually. The major positions, yes. But oh, you mean the position? I was talking. I was thinking Supreme Court. Well, no, Supreme Court. But I, I or like uh, Loretta Lynch, right? Oh, for yeah. Attorney General, she sat there for hundred some odd days, just kind of in limbo because they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't confirm her. Right. There's all sorts of uh, circuit and federal court judges who are still sitting in the nomination process. No one's right. No, no one's choosing to to bring them in to, for right. interviews or anything. A hundred so. days is nothing. So no. he, all they've got to do is stall nine months. Just put it on November. The, yeah. They'll go on vacation. I mean, you, we've read how much time the Senate spends on vacation. Yeah. So there's only so many days they're actually in session. So it really wouldn't be that hard. No. They'll, oh, we're just so busy. We have other things to do. Speaking of deaths, by the way, the nice. Gram- Grammy Awards. <laughs> what do you mean? There's just a lot of negative chatter about about the Grammys. Just wasn't quite as successful. Yeah. Kind of a sleeper, many say. Poor Adele had audio problems. That's what I read. Taylor taking on Kanye. She cut her subtly, hair. She cut and her she hair. cut her hair. I didn't know you'd mention that. What? What do you mean? I was just going to talk about their performances, but you're talking about their style again. There. She cut her hair. She done cut her hair. It's totally true. Um, I, I didn't see it, but I just heard a lot of people were... Underwhelmed? Underwhelmed. That's what's happened almost every single year than that I can remember, and that's only going back like five years. After five years, nothing exists for me, so... You know, when you look at it, it's really hard to relate 
to the Grammys? Uh-huh. In what way? Well, just because half of these stars I've never heard of. Okay. And the other half. But your kids have probably heard of all of them. I doubt it. Really? Well, some of them. Yeah, some of them. All right. As I look at the rock supergroup Hollywood Vampires. Yeah. Now, I know you've I, heard of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're my age. They're probably they're older my than me, but never heard of them. I well, Josh Groban, of course. The Hollywood Vampires that that I've that's got Johnny Depp in it, right? Let me look. You better look that up again. Does it? I believe so. I didn't see Johnny. Yeah, re- Johnny Depp. See, it's, it's Johnny a, Depp, Joe Perry, Alice Cooper. It's I've a, it's seen, a, I knew Alice. It's Cooper. a newer type group. Oh, is it older? It's kind of a people. mix. Whereas I read that this morning and went, "Oh, that's cool." Hmm. They have a group. Moved on. <laughs> Next. Next. <laughs> Anyway, um, well, my- so it's going to get crazy. Cruz is going to go crazy. Trump is going to go crazy. They already are. Trump's calling Cruz the biggest liar he has ever met. Yes. Which is amazing. He, he works in New York City real estate. Yeah. And Cruz is the biggest liar. Well, and he does international deals. Right. And Cruz is the biggest liar. And then Cruz is like calling him names, Trump names, like, you know. Sticks and stones can break my bones. He's like, it's like, what's happening to us? But that's going to get crazy. They're saying now things you've never believed you'd hear in a GOP um, election. Uh, all of a sudden, George Bush like caused the entire Iraq lie, lied about the entire Iraq War. Yeah, they're saying that. That President Bush, George Bush, he his administration had the information. They knew stuff was going to happen. This is what Trump's trying to say, right? right? And so, it used to be that we they they would support decisions in the sense of that's what we knew at the time, and there's a way to count. Now, now Trump's just straight up, it's your brother's fault. <laughs> it is. This is the craziest process, don't you think? This is like this is weird, and nobody knows what's happening tomorrow. I mean, is it, is it used it, to be very predictable. Is this a good process? Well, I guess it's what it is, but it's going to get uglier. Yeah. Especially if they close in on the Donster. That's going to get really ugly. But don't forget, Bernie Sanders, he's killing it too. In Michigan, he just packed 10,000 people into a town meeting where only 20,000 people live in the town. I mean, Bernie Dunn just took the whole town over. Apparently. They're feeling the burn. (laughs) They're getting burned. (laughs) Um, Anyway, interesting stuff. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot to talk about today in this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. But first, let's get to the headlines, find out what's going on around the rest of the world with Terry South. Terry? Thanks, Matt. During a press conference in South Carolina, Donald Trump threatened once again to run as a third-party candidate in the general election. He said, I signed a pledge, but it's a double-edged pledge. As far as I'm concerned, they're in default of their pledge. If you remember, he... Uh, Trump, pledge default. If the Republican Party treats Trump in a good way, yeah, then he would run as a Republican. If he feels like they're sliding him and then somehow they're they're not treating him fairly, he will run as an independent. That was the pledge. <sighs> as far as he says, uh, he has previously hinted to the fact that he would run as an independent, which would violate the pledge he signed with the Republican National Committee. Trump also once again has threatened to sue Ted Cruz. 
Now, he'll apologize, but I don't want an apology after the election. I want the apology before. And if he doesn't, I'm going to bring a lawsuit because, in my opinion, based on what I've learned over the last two, three days from very top lawyers, he doesn't even have the right to serve as president or even run as president. He was born in Canada. So I will bring that lawsuit if he doesn't apologize. Wow. More lawsuits. That's how you get things done. Interesting. And he's back on the Canada kick. and Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Politics. Jeb Bush and his brother, former President George W. Bush, campaigned together Monday in North uh, Charleston, South Carolina, an area described by Senator Lindsey Graham as Bush country. Bush country! George W. Bush was on the campaign trail for the first time since leaving office and said his younger brother had a had has a quiet conviction and sees a better tomorrow for the United States. The presidency is a serious job that requires sound judgment and good ideas, and there's no doubt in my mind that Jeb Bush has the experience and character to be a great president. Wow. It's a good, great endorsement it's a great from one brother to the From other. a past president. That's huge. Especially in South Carolina. It is. And uh, he, he needs all the help. Jeb needs all the help he can get there. But apparently Trump's on the drop and Cruz are on the drop in South Carolina. Rubio and Kasich on the way up. There you go. Hmm. A Texas judge on Monday unveiled new details about Supreme Court Justin Antonin Scalia's health in the days before his death. Presidio judge can, or County Judge uh, Cinderella Grierva told the AP that's the name told the AP that uh, Scalia's doctor told her over the phone that the justice had a history of heart trouble, high blood pressure, and more recently was determined to not be strong enough to have surgery for a shoulder injury. Guerrero said that she consulted with Scalia's personal physician on the day he was found dead in his room in the Texas ranch. She also said Scalia appeared to have told some people in the ranch that he wasn't feeling well, according to her conversations with the county sheriff and a U.S. marshal who were in the area. Oh, wow. So more details coming out. So if you're out there and you have heart issues, pay attention. Pay attention. Uh, President Barack Obama is planning a visit to Vietnam as part of a trip to Japan for the G7 summit in May, the White House confirmed this morning or yesterday. Obama accepted the Vietnamese prime minister's invitation during a meeting at a summit of Southeast Asian nations that's going on currently in California. Hmm. Another trip. He's going to Vietnam. Man, that would be fascinating. As a president to go to Vietnam. Oh, right. That'd be cool. That'd be great. Uh, and also some good news. What? We, we There's a lot of sort of contentious, maybe bad news that's out there, depending yes, on your point of view. Yes, to the good news. Star Wars Episode Eight began principal photography on Monday. Okay. They're filming the next installment of Star Wars. No, I thought they would have already filmed that. No, they have to actually start at some point. Man. Episode eight slated for release December 15th, 2017. Wow. So not this Christmas, but next Christmas. That's this right. Christmas... Yeah. Rogue One, a Star Wars story. <sighs> the story of the the group of freedom fighters who stole the uh, d- the Death Star plans, I believe, in... This is what I don't like yeah. about the Star Wars series. What about it? They give us too much time to think about it. Well, gonna, I don't want to... They're going to put one out once a year. What do you want? Well, yeah, but... Is that too much? Is that too little? Do you want more? Less? Well, no, but the the one that we all want to see is the one we just – we want to see the next one of the one we just saw. And that's every two years. Right. So now we have two years to talk about what we are eventually going to watch. Yes. I hate that. Why? That's like starting an election two years ahead of time. 
and talking about the future President Clinton or the future President. Who would do that? I hate that. It's ridiculous. Because then that's all you talk about. It's like me telling you, you will not believe what I will be doing in two years. Oh, my heavens, I'll be releasing a new book in two years. I started it last night. I created an outline. It will be the best book you'll ever see. I mean, seriously. But see, that's how this works. It's all marketing, folks. It's all the razzle-dazzle of marketing. We're going to take a break, come back, and uh, be discussing, you know, all the things going on in the world, folks. It is a crazy world we live in. Stick with us. Interesting, interesting discussions about uh, the things you need to know. What's coming up in your uh, world? You know, a lot of little things we got to get through. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're, we're talking today about the incredible uh, news about Justice Antonin Scalia from the Supreme Court passing away. Um, and now what that does to the rest of the political world. This is a huge deal because so many decisions need to be made by the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court is so closely divided that it, those decisions always come down to about one vote. Well, that vote is gone. One vote. So now it could all of a sudden change some decisions that come out. Some might just, I guess they won't even release a decision because they, they'll be a hung jury or a hung justice. What do you call it? So it's going to change stuff. And who – but – It'll it'll lead to the court having 4-4 four, four ties on decisions rather than the 5-4, which is what they've come up with right. recently because of the way the court's set up, obviously. Which is interesting because some of the backlash going on with maybe a really angry electorate, and you see it manifested through the Trump phenomenon and the Bernie phenomenon, is this idea that – it just isn't working. The system isn't working. So you have a 5-4 uh, Supreme Court decision that then makes a lot of people, the 40, you know, the four, the minority feel like their their views aren't being heard. Right. And a lot of decisions aren't being uh, taken care of in a legislative branch. They're now being taken care of and made final and legal in the justice department or the justice or the judicial branch. So I think we're we're in a really weird position, which is – why, politics aside, many would argue, don't let the decision of the next justice be made in a hotted, hotly contested election year by a lame duck president. Is he lame duck? Well, yeah. Aren't you lame duck from November to January? Not from January to January? Well, you mean last November? No, November when... The new 
president's well, elected, you have that period of time where you're in the office, but this other guy's like across the street getting his office all set up. That's the lame duck well, definition. The whole sure. expanding it out for an entire year. You could say this is a sure. whole lame duck uh, term of presidency. His last four years, why should no. we let him do anything? No, you couldn't say that. You, they, people could try. But you could say, you could say when he's in the election year – and this, because this to me, this is the ultimate opportunity for democracy. It's now completely even. 4 4 on the Supreme Court, fairly tightly contested Demo- or, uh, Democratic Senate races. So the, Demo- the Democrats could end up taking the Senate over. GOP firmly, seemingly has a firm grip on, the, on Congress. House of Representatives. Holy cow. A president who many have struggled with because of, you know, very close decisions. Let the electorate choose. This is it, the tiebreaker. Everybody get to the polls. I mean, everybody go vote. Everybody. Get a huge turnout, then winner take it all. Just like in the song from Mamma Mia. What? I don't know. There's a song, winner take it off. So it, it all it all starts, of course, Saturday. Saturday. All of a sudden, all the everything matters. The the news starts breaking that Scalia has uh, has died, and within an hour of that announcement, Mitch McConnell, the majority leader in the Senate, puts out a statement. It says the American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filled until we have a new president. McConnell said at a time when other elected officials from Bernie Sanders to future Senate Democrat leader Charles Schumer were uh, releasing statements offering condolences to the justice's family, which included his mm. 26 grandchildren. Hmm. It was a real shocker, said a senior White House official speaking to Politico shortly after Obama on a trip to California announcing his intention to send a Senate, the Senate a nominee. So people were shocked that so soon afterwards, oh, yeah. it wasn't condolences, it was we're not going to fill his seat. We could have talked about how great Justice Scalia is. We could have done that for days. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then politicized And it. then back back to your comment of it just, it, we're in this, you know, tense, very he, maybe ugly he was jumping situation. On it. He jumped on it really so fast. So Trump didn't. Well, maybe. I mean, there was the other problem is you had a debate that night. So within a few hours... We had all this opinion press, and commentary yeah. and press and people asking because the debate was going to happen. So maybe uh, that, that also no, that motivated exactly McConnell right. to get out ahead of it a little bit. So you had a, a precedent of what he, his plans were for the, uh, the, the, the short term, I guess. Let's listen to what uh, President Obama had to say shortly after uh, that evening on Saturday. Clip two there. I plan to fulfill my constitutional responsibilities to nominate a successor in due time. There will be plenty of time for me to do so and for the Senate to fulfill its responsibility to give that person a fair hearing and a timely vote. These are responsibilities that I take seriously, as should everyone. They're bigger than any one party. They are about our democracy. They're about the institution to which Justice Scalia dedicated his professional life and making sure it continues to function as the beacon of justice that our founders envisioned. Hmm. So he's not saying approve. He's saying, I'm going to nominate somebody. Yeah. You should hear him. Yeah. You should hold the hearings. You should review. You should you know, actually make a vote on this candidate that I put forward. And they're vowing not even to do that. Yeah. So then the question is, 
who's responsible? Is there a responsibility to have the process, or is it responsible just to say no? We're not doing it at all. We're not, not going to happen. We're not going to talk to. We're not going to review. We're not going to listen to your candidate. Well, it seems like that Mitch McConnell didn't have to say no. We're not going to do it. All no, you'd have yeah. to do is do what the Democrats did when when um, President Reagan nominated somebody about a year and a half before he was done. And the Democrats just slow walked it. They just did. slow walk it. They did. It's like, where did that paper go? Well, we will get on that. Absolutely. But you just allow it to happen. You can't stop the president from nominating. That's his responsibility. Nominate. And again, like you said, They've nominated a lot of people for positions in the administration and haven't been taken care of for years. Yeah. I mean, there's people that still haven't been nominated that could have fairly easily been nominated. Even Loretta Lynch, I think it took like 100 days to it get did. her nominated. By the way, she could, she's already on the short list. Well, she's already on the long list. Well, she's been mentioned. There's been a lot of people mentioned. And one of the reasons behind Loretta Lynch being mentioned is the fact that she's already gone through the process sure. and been approved, right. which you'd think would make bada it boom, a little bit bean. Get easier for people to agree, <laughs> except I, they're just going – I mean, That'll never happen. No. They'll just say no. And that's the, the difficulty here. Now, one thing that, as you kind of alluded to a little bit, is that when the Democrats were on the other side of this, yeah. and there was a Republican in the White House – and the Democrats controlled the, the the process of reviewing the candidate. They did the same thing that the Republicans exact are talking about now. Well, and this is the this is the scary thing, because Justice Bork was a good man, and took, I mean, just a good man, like not whatever politically whatever your views are. He's just an a, an average good man that took a beating. He did. In order to basically – he was the scapegoat. He was the – he was just killed publicly by this process. So who, he – the president then has to decide who do I put up there? Do I put up there that really somebody that could get nominated that's – that might be seen as a more moderate or do I put up my candidate that I really love that's going to just be just crushed yeah. by the process? And then, and which is sad because then you've lost. I mean, to me, that tells everybody: don't run for anything, don't yeah. want to be anything, don't become a public servant, because you might be tossed around as a toy token. <laughs> it would be horrible. Your, your personal life is dragged out in the open, and just every a, choice a stall you've made. Tactic. Yeah. yeah, and 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 that's really the the situation here. Are there people that President Obama would approach? Who would decline just so they don't have to go through this useless process? Oh yeah, because they're like no one's going to be confirmed. They're not going right. to let anybody in. If they do, they're going to be torn apart and beat up before they actually get in there. Or does the president go find somebody that is a real that doesn't have to be a political kind of activist that doesn't have to be coming from a political view um, that is the perfect candidate even from the Republicans. Not the perfect candidate. Right. But a complete, pure, perfect Well, moderate. someone – I think he used to get like – was it 15 Republicans to switch to to approve the, 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 the candidate to yeah. have it go through? Well, John Roberts, for example, was seen as this ultimate perfect Republican moderate candidate – who has made a lot of decisions swinging the court the other way. 
find that guy or gal. Yeah. But I guess the issue at hand is can you find that person? But what a, what a powerful you, thing it, to do as president. Right. You put up someone who isn't your perfect candidate. Yeah. Who isn't necessarily their perfect candidate, but is enough of the middle that you can that everyone, everyone can, can agree. It. That yeah. person's fairly neutral. But what a neat thing to give your country. And that is also the third that would be the third Supreme Court justice he's nominated. That's a, that that the, that in and of itself pushes and sways the courts. The concern I've heard from people <clears throat> discussing the opinion of the 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 right, like a Ted Cruz, is that even right. a moderate wouldn't right. agree with him, and so no, they right. would pull the court to the left. Right, right. So if you can you imagine how on earth do you get a moderate or a, a you know a conservative or a progressive on the court? Like if he puts forth the name of a strong progressive, this is going to get ugly because they'll, they'll let's have those hearings and they'll bork him. They will. <laughs> so I to think speak. that's the term they use. Now, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, she uh, she's a really sen- the head. She's a of senator. the Democratic Party. She's kind of been the voice, the, the, the outspoken voice to the I mean, some of the, the Democratic progressive strong. Some of the Democratic leadership aren't really. Uh, they don't like how how she has stepped out and kind of voiced so many opinions, and they're like, "Wait, we're we're supposed to be a group, and you're not coming through our leadership." And she's oh, like, "Yeah, yeah, listen to me." So it says in a short, sharply worded, worded statement on her Facebook page after the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, Senator Elizabeth Warren said she couldn't find the section of the Constitution that tells presidents not to nominate justices when there is a year left in the term of a Democratic president. She goes on, Senate Republicans took an oath, just like Senate Democrats did. Abandoning the duties they swore to uphold would threaten both the Constitution and our democracy itself. It would also prove that all the Republican talk about loving the Constitution is just that empty talk. Warren's remarks address the immediate partisan split that emerged within hours after Scalia's death, one that threatens the constitutional, a constitutional crisis between divided branches of government. They also uh, reflect the growing intensity of what is expected to be a brutal fight over Scalia's replacement. Mm. So she points out, you know, you, here's the Constitution, gentlemen. Are we, are, are we going to follow it or not? And it, it, to me, it was kind of hollow because this has been done in the past. Yeah. There's quotes from uh, President Obama when he, when, uh, he was uh, in, that was it, 2006, he argued for a tough Senate screening process. Right. So, I mean, he was, and, and, and he's going through how we need to, this needs to be tough. We can't just look at the person, make sure they're a good person and send them on through. We need to look at them, make sure they're, 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 uh, there, there are past rulings and past, uh, you know, thoughts and ideas line up with the what we need this country, what this country needs on the Supreme Court. And then he concluded by saying that he doesn't think he'll, you know, let the uh, whatever the the candidate was go through. He didn't approve of them. Right. So he's kind of te- when he was in there in '06, he was taking the same sort of stance the Republicans are now. Yeah, Schumer. And so Schumer in '07 all- said that very thing. Of, of George Bush, 19 months before the new president was set to be inaugurated, we should not confirm any Bush nominee to the Supreme Court except in extraordinary circumstances. It shouldn't happen. Yeah. So you got this obstructionist thing from the Democrats 
back then yeah. that's happening now when the Democrats are all offended that someone's what? putting up some obstruction. Like, guys, you do this to them, they do it to you, that's this is the game. That's what's funny. Do we? It, do you just think nobody like reads the history here? We've no, I, th- I, I think they don't believe the people that are uh, the electorate doesn't read the history. Nobody The electorate cares. worries about right now and that's it. Whatever right. we did 10 years ago doesn't matter. That's why the whole discussion is just – that's why we need leaders and we don't seem to have as many. We have politicians galore, but we need a leader. And right. I, to me, this is an interesting thing. When we come back, yeah, we have some more uh, quotes from the debate on Saturday. Yeah, because the debate that – That know. was fresh. It was right after. And we have several of the candidates who – and they give their opinion on what should be done with the Supreme Court and where should we – how and, we should progress from there. And again, a man has died – and the man is incredible. They had a moment of silence. Yeah, but... And then immediately went to the fight. We got to <laughs> also celebrate his brilliant mind. Whether you like everything about him or his position or his views, you know, these are special people. These people, they make the biggest decisions of our lives right now. And let's, man, celebrate the life a little bit. Holy cow. We'll take a break. Come back. Continue the discussion of the Supreme Court and uh, the loss of Justin, uh, Justice Antonin Scalia and how it impacts the political process. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've uh, been talking about the death of Justice Antonin Scalia and um, what it does, really. It tips over the entire apple cart of politics because now this isn't just, you know, a bunch of angry people. This is now the decision of who will be tipping the scale in the Supreme Court. And it's game on, folks. Uh, Mitch McConnell says not going to do it. Senate's not even going to look at it. President says, well, I'll be doing my job and sending a nomination up. Hope you do your job. Do you and think, he can use that. He'll use that for well, that, the political well, process. Who's that going to backfire on? Do you think the Republicans can make a case for an entire calendar year during an entire election not to even listen and even no. sit in hearings and listen to this candidate at no. all? I don't think you should come out. I mean, they have a responsibility. Every one of them, this is what's great about the balance of powers, that there's a responsibility. The president has his, nominate somebody. But what we're going to see is the character of the president. Does the character of the president really think that he's going to nominate an extreme justice? And Because if he's doing that, he knows it's not going to happen. Yeah, if he's doing something, he knows there's no chance at being... Approved. I would say anybody – if anybody that's called to the White House to be nominated as a Supreme Court justice right now, I wouldn't show up. You're going to get in trouble because – but if he nominates somebody that really, truly shows a deference to both parties' ways of thinking, that says something I think about the president that's powerful. Yeah. You're you don't you're not and, trying to inflict more pain and right. you're not just going to scapegoat a poor citizen. And then if 
the Republicans still continue to not confirm that person, it shows a lot about them too. Absolutely. Exactly. And if, yeah. if they beat somebody up that's innocent and they bork them, as people have been calling it, then that shows a ton. And guess what? In all of this, watch out for the turnout. Because one of the things I've been reading a lot about is how the president could totally use this to run up turnout for the Democrats. And if they run out turnout for the Democrats, it's going to impact. Because I think there's still a lot of people that are disillusioned by the candidates that are being offered, right? So right. it's um, – this could totally – this, this is why this changes the entire race. What other, um, what other sound do we have? Speaking of those candidates, uh, Ted Cruz, he uh, – during the debates, he was asked about this uh, – the situation with this new uh, the Supreme Court and what he, and his kind of his thoughts on what should be done is clip four. And today we saw just how grave the stakes are. Two branches of government hang in the balance, not just the presidency, but the Supreme Court. If we get this wrong, if we nominate the wrong candidate, the Second Amendment, life, marriage, religious liberty, every one of those hangs in the balance. My little girls are here. I don't want to look my daughters in the eyes and say we lost their liberties. Donald Trump would say, you don't have little girls, you liar. <laughs> um, now, that's interesting. When, whenever Ted Cruz speaks, I tend to, I tend to sense this, uh, this concept of it is the worst possible outcome of every situation. Yeah. Things are burning. Things are on fire. It is the end of the world as we know it. This, this decision is not only – you're not only electing a president, a Supreme Court justice but, and a Supreme Court justice, but this could also destroy his children. <laughs> could. Now, he ramps it up. Yeah. And a lot of that's politics. Yeah, sure. And you just eh. – but yeah, there, it's a big decision. This is huge. Now, this- is that person going to go in and rewrite all of known law? No. That's kind of what he was trying to imply was that everything we hold dear is going to change. I'm like, eh, not necessarily. No. Because you don't know who's but, going to be but nominated. But it will tip the court one way or another. It's just how it works. Right. But I, I just I, – I, there's just such You're an voting? alarmist situation right. with him. Well, and if some of it's just his tone. And you know that's rhetoric. I mean because yes. this whole t- – my children – once he got down to the my little girls, you know, okay. All right. We got you. I mean I get it. I get it. But just, he's trying to get emotions and reaction. I played there. So his thought is, um, yeah, let's not let Be careful. the president right. elect somebody. Did, it, it's a big decision. We need to did Trump, What did Trump say? Trump, uh, let's see, clip six. Frankly, I'm absolutely sure that President Obama will try and do it. I hope that our Senate is going to be able, Mitch and the entire group is going to be able to do something about it. But this is a tremendous blow to conservatism. It's a tremendous blow, frankly, to our country. I think he's going to do it, whether I'm okay with it or not. I think it's up to Mitch McConnell and everybody else to stop it. It's called delay, delay, delay. Hmm. That, so delay. What what Donald really I think is brilliant at is he says what everyone thinks. Yes, he's not going out on any limbs. Right. He's not making some, something new. He's saying what you think. Right. He also verbalizing has, it. Whenever I hear Donald talk, I, I hear him say what everyone's thinking. Except I also have this feeling he doesn't know even the process. Yeah, you know what I mean. There's like, some of that. Honestly, too, yeah. it's how I feel because I don't know the whole process, but. I really don't think Donald knows the process. No. Because he's going to have Mitch and all of his people. You have people do that. The people of Mitch. Yeah. Mitch, number are going to take gonna, care of it. They're going to delay, delay, delay. Yeah. 
which is exactly what's going to happen. So he says it. That's what I think Americans like that. He said exactly what they're going to do. John Kasich had an interesting comment. Clip five, if you would there. I really wish the president would think about not nominating somebody. If he were to nominate somebody, let's have him pick somebody that is going to have unanimous approval and such widespread approval across the that country would be fantastic. that this could happen without uh, a lot of recrimination. I don't think that's going to happen. And I would like the president to just for once here put the country first. We're going to have an election for president very soon, and the people will understand what is at stake in that election. And so I believe uh, the president should not move forward, and uh, I, I think that we ought to let the next president of the United States decide who is going to run that Supreme Court with a vote by the people of the United States of America. Like you said. Apparently, I have a lot in common with him. And they have an amazing bell. It, that was a great bell. <laughs> in fact, we need a bell like that. Ding. That's an interesting – I mean, I think that's, that's what you do. Honestly, if you want to be a leader, lead. But does President Obama look weak if he decides not to nominate anyone? Well, no, I think yeah. – And just wait. Well, it's his – yeah, he's already positioned himself that he's going and, to. And then would the other side bring up their stories again of how they like uh, Vladimir yeah. Putin because he's such a strong leader <laughs> and we need one of those. See, he wouldn't even challenge the Republican, you know, that right. kind of thing. See, the dilemma we're going to run into no matter what happens is is the Demo- the Republicans aren't able for some reason to effectively communicate – like the like maybe it's just being being the office of the president. Yeah. He he's going to have the bully pulpit. And for some reason the Republicans can't combat that. So about June or July you'll see the president out there in the uh whatever the the room is they they give the speeches in, but he'll go out and he'll have a speech and he'll say I'm, you know, he'll condemn the Republican Senate for yeah. not not holding hearings and yeah. punching the more s- stagnation. No. This is your government. But again, this is the government that well, he said he was going to change. Yeah. And he didn't change. No. Well, and that was his biggest regret. I yeah. wish I had been able to do what I said I was going to do. He got elected to change it and he became complicit in part of it. So now we're back to the same position, which again is why Trump is leading and Sanders is killing. Will this turn into the same sort of standoff that happened when, when Ted Cruz shut down the government? When he had his filibuster and they no. they kept going and, and President Obama said, Hey, I'm ready to go, guys, whenever you wanna no, whenever I, you wanna kick start things back into gear. Yeah, I'm no, here. I don't think it'll be like that because that was ugly and that was actually shut down. Like people were not yeah. getting paid. Well no, I, I mean just the but, idea that the, the, the president kept saying that um, it's up to them. They're the ones that shut it down. Oh sure. And he just calmly went about doing his well, job. It, no, it'll become it'll become the line that is told in every single you know, Hillary will jump on it. Bernie will supposedly jump on it. Everyone will jump on it from the Democratic side to turn out the vote. But I don't think it's good necessarily. Well, and also you watch. It depends who the president nominates. Yeah. Because who he puts forward is going to be really interesting. Because it's going to be what kind of the vote do we need turned out? Is, well, is that, it going to be the Hispanic vote? Right. Because that'll turn out the Hispanic vote. Because now yeah. the Republicans are stopping. I could see how that would work. Yeah. Oh, it'll get crazy. Would it? Would that first person just be a sacrificial lamb? Yes. <laughs> this first You'll, person. It depends you, if the, if it's if it's somebody that everyone will vote for. Yeah. I mean, there's people that have been pushed right through. Sure. You go get some. You go get a senator that everybody loves. Push them through. From the Democratic side. 
Go go push them through. And if you get somebody really old, they won't really have that much of an effect on the court. What they'll do, exactly. That's true. (laughs) What they'll do is they'll probably choose somebody that was already appointed to one of the circuit courts or whatever that went through without any problem. And that will be money. Anyway, interesting, interesting stuff, folks. Wow. Isn't it crazy? This is one decision. But I think it goes back to our politicians. It goes back to really what's going on here this is this is the problem we have we need more leaders we need leadership right now we need leadership not political partisanship we'll take a break this is the matt townsend show stick with us folks we'll be right back to wrap up this first hour Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, last uh, on Saturday, I had a wonderful uh, celebration. Had about thirteen or hundred or so couples, well, uh, six hundred and fifty couples, celebrating the wonderful holiday of Valentine's Day. I invited Ben, didn't show. Invited Terry, didn't show. I never got an invitation. I must have sent it to your date. We both know I don't have a date. Exactly. Anyway, you were invited. But it was interesting to me to see how many people would show up uh, to work on a marriage, to work on their relationships. And I taught the most interesting thing that I've learned recently. Um, I, I had people, I gave a list basically of traits that were positive and a list of traits that were negative. And I wanted everyone to make um, identify about on the list of positive eight traits that they relate to. You know, hardworking, strong, funny, whatever. And then on the negative list, I wanted them to identify eight traits that they relate to. Like, ugh, like I don't know, I'm, I'm selfish, I'm argumentative, whatever. And I had the husbands do it and the wives do it. And I wanted them to identify what their strong traits are that they relate to and their not so strong traits that they don't relate or that they relate to. And then I wanted them to just start understanding. And some of the research from Scott Stanley talks about the impact that it has when we not just we don't look at our partner the way we see them, but we try to understand the way they see themselves. So if all of a sudden my wife feels insecure and I constantly push on her insecurity, you're going to see contention. But Scott Stanley teaches one of the greatest ways to actually foster a healthy connection and um, you know companionship with your partner is try to understand how they see themselves and then help to strengthen – or basically treat them with that view. So if my wife feels like she's insecure, don't just keep being more secure around her, making her feel insecure. Understand she has a sense of insecurity about herself and help help her help treat her so she's less less secure, less insecure or more secure. Anyway, it was the most incredible thing having people come up after saying, "Holy cow, I've never thought of that." I don't have to fix my spouse. 
I just need to understand where they're coming from, from their frame of reference, right? If you feel like you offer a lot to the world, but your spouse doesn't seem to treat you like you do, you're going to have problems. And I think that's another thing that we could just – Chalk up to everything that's going on in Washington with the justices and we all end up seeing it only from our frame of reference. We're not going to get a healthier nation by dividing now and not trying to understand the other's point of view. Now the Democrats feel they have the right to nominate. Sure, whatever. You didn't, you know, 10 years ago. Now you do. And now the Republicans think you're crazy even though they've been stalling. That's life, folks. But if we want to have a change, we eventually have to see how the other sees it. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here uh, on February 16th. Do uh, a grouch a favor day. Everyone has been a grouch at one time or another. This show's dedicated today to Terry South. Thank you. <laughs> and I thought that's where that was going to go. Do a grouch a favor. You're not a grouch. Sometimes. Yeah, Depends on the day. Everyone's smile. You know, everyone's got a grouch. But today's the day we're going to do them a favor. We're going to cheer them up. What are you going to do, Matt? I don't know. Taze it. <laughs> yeah. That's more of a... Do this or else sort of Yeah, that of proposition. seems like that would just make the grouch more unhappy. Maybe what I'll do is give you an almond because today is also Almond Day. I have those. I brought some with me. See? Almond. It does a body good. Do you That's like almond say. milk? Um, no, I don't. Why? In Any sort of alteration on the, uh, the like... tried and true favorite of milk, I don't really want any. Wait, okay, my, wife, so... my wife tries almond milk or... Whatever different vari- variations yeah, so on it, that. Have you? It's it's a lot harder. I have found to milk an almond. It is than it is to milk a cow. This is true. But they also don't seem to mind as much. No, no more protests. That or the the soy. Soy is pretty tough too. Oh yeah, I love getting my hand on some soy. <laughs> For the milking process. Hey, what do you think about uh, the internet? How much are you on the internet a day? You're on a lot. Probably quite a bit. Probably 20 hours. No. 18? No. I'd say it's less than 10. What do you think, Benny? Okay. Maybe Uh, maybe four. Four. There you go. Four. Now, this includes, though, when you're on your computer connected to Wi-Fi, like writing a paper, you just jump to Google real fast. That's the interweb. You say four. But I, I don't have a cell phone that gets internet. So oh, that's that, true. That that's cuts true. it down no, that's totally, quite a no, bit. No, that's totally true. That's really good. Have you ever heard of nomophobia? That is the fear of being out of touch because of your smartphone. You're not able to – it's like not connecting or it's not – you don't have your phone with you. 
Yes. Nomophobia. I haven't heard of it labeled that way, but I have heard people discuss that concept of people or, well, there's been, uh, there's a, um, that's a Chevrolet TV ad. Yeah. Where they, they walk in and they take everyone's cell phones and then they start throwing uh, cell phones into a wood chipper. <laughs> and you watch the reaction of people just, they're, they're just unhinged. Someone, what'd you do to my phone? And then they hand them all their phones back. And there's another one now, um, I think it's a droid phone. They start dropping them from a, from a high, yeah. you know, and they hit and you see them chip and break and they've switched the phones and they hand them their real phone. And the whole point is they have a new phone that supposedly has a unbreakable, unchippable screen. Wow. Can it, it handle a chipper? Don't think so. Um, but just the reaction from the people, I, I can't tell if it's real or not, but I know people that if you did that, they would be very concerned. What did oh. you just do to my phone? Like, have you ever just forgotten your phone at home? It's safe. Yeah. It's just, you know, tucked away in bed. But you're panicked. Like I drive home and get it. Wow. See, you're a nomophobic. Well, mainly because I, well, I, I jump in my car, connects to the Wi-Fi. Yeah. If I jump in the car and that doesn't happen, I know I don't have my phone. Better go get it. We're going to be talking about this with our guest today. Dr. Tim Caulfield will be joining us. He, He's, you know, basically trying to figure out what the internet has been doing to our brains. There's a lot of myths out there. Just like when we were growing up, my mom said, if I watch too much TV, my brain would go soft. Do you think that's true? Well, I think our brains are soft. Well, they are. Yeah, so I don't think it's going to go more soft. Because I watch my child. You yeah. leave him up there for a while, it's yeah. just sort of this glossed over, no, zombified no, sort of no look No doubt, to it. there's something going on. Okay. But I'm pretty sure his brain's not like turning to mush. He's just learning really stupid things about zombies or whatever he's watching. Right. He doesn't watch zombies He's yet. four. I don't think so, no. Well, you wait till he's six for that. Yeah. Then we'll ruin him. <laughs> then it's all zombies all the time. Zombies 24-7. Hey, um, so we'll get to Tim in a minute. Uh, but before we do that, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world? President Barack Obama is planning to wait until the Senate is back in session to nominate someone to replace Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. Uh, reports over the weekend, an administration official told uh, that said that Obama would not push through a nominee this week. The president said that he plans to nominate a successor in due time. He spoke of uh, Scalia's death on Saturday, remembering him as a child of immigrants who influenced a generation of lawyers. The president added that the justice will be remembered for his wit and colorful opinions. So the idea of a recess appointment. The yeah. Senate is out. The president, because they're not there, the president can make recess appointments, and then that person's in for, what, a year? <laughs> and that, could you imagine how that would just blow everything uh, up if he did that? Yeah. Let's be a president. Yeah, he's going to wait. Let's be a president of all of the people. Not just toss a monkey wrench right. in just And then let's be happens. a Senate for all of the people. See what happens. As Donald Trump maintains his seemingly unbreakable lead in the Republican race, 56% of Republican voters now say they think that he will receive the nomination, according to a new national NBC survey monkey poll released (laughs) on Tuesday. Prior to Trump's New Hampshire sweep, only 42% of voters felt Trump was a lock for the nomination. By comparison, just 22% of Republicans voters think that Ted Cruz will be the nominee, only 10%. Say the same for Marco Rubio. It's true that Trump's Trump fever doesn't look to be letting up. In a uh, another poll, it puts him at 38 percent nationally, followed by Cruz at 18 percent, Rubio 14 percent, and the rest of the candidates in single digits. On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton leads Bernie Sanders 50 to 40 percent, with most millennial back, uh, black voters siding with Clinton and most white millennials aligning with Sanders. Mm. Which is an interesting that is nugget interesting. they just sort of toss in there. So we'll keep an eye on that. Earlier today, the oil ministries of Saudi Arabia 
Russia, Venezuela, and Qatar emerged from an unannounced meeting in Doha to announce that they would not increase oil output above January's levels. If other major oil-producing nations agreed to freeze supplies as well, uh, the the Venezuelan oil minister said he would discuss the freezing of uh, with Iran and Iraq in uh, to, on Wednesday, though Iran has pledged to ramp up its oil output after the end of international sanctions in January, the meeting and proposed output freeze allow 18 months of slipping oil prices down now about $35 a barrel, the lowest price hmm. in more than a decade. Amid oil's long slide, major oil-producing countries have, have put defending or increasing market share before shoring up prices, and the meeting is widely seen as the first in a serious step to stabilize prices, meaning... Watch your oil prices. They could be going back up. Yeah. I don't know. Because that also – Iran will have to agree. Yes. And Iran's just barely got theirs opened. Yeah. And they need to move it off. And they Iraq make money. has to pay their bills. They do. They have a lot of bills. This is crazy. We blew up half their country. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, yeah. So watch your oil prices. They could go back up. A philanthropist, David Rubenstein, plans to give $18 million to refurbish the Lincoln Memorial, according to the National Park Service's announcement. Rubenstein has already given tens of millions towards the Washington Monument. This money will specifically go towards the memorial's roof, adding a second elevator, and also plans to add another 15,000 square feet of visitor space beneath the memorial where exhibits will go. Huh. I didn't know the Lincoln Memorial had an elevator, but it was just a statue. Yeah. Well, I, wow. I guess they have to. For Maybe it's different grounds. Disability. Yeah. That could be it to all the steps. Access. It's interesting. Hmm. So they're trying to preserve the monuments. Good job. Wildlife officials in California. We talked about this a little bit last week on, I can't remember what context, but we mentioned some of this. Wildlife officials in California have disturbing revelations for pet owners. Most mountain lions in the region seem to have acquired a taste for dogs and cats. <laughs> As the San Francisco Chronicle reports, that insight comes from an analysis of the stomach contents of mountain lions illegally killed last year. Of the 83 cougars analyzed, 52% recently dined on a dog, a cat, or another domestic animal. Whoa. The true percentage is likely higher, however, because the contents of 18% of the stomachs were too digested to make a determination. As for deer, considered a menu staple, a measly 5% of the mountain lions had recently eaten what what's supposed to be their food source. <laughs> but I guess maybe that's the, the mountain lions coming down into the backyard. That's why they're getting killed. Yes. And they just, you know, two, two doors over, they just ate the kitty cat. You know why? This is the problem. Folks, too many of you are out watching cat videos. Yes. Meanwhile, your cat's being chewed down by a mountain lion next door. Well, that and we keep encroaching into the, you know, the wild frontier. <laughs> and uh, we have our, our cats and animals and dogs and stuff with us. And, and you know, Ah, see? They become food. So That's why we don't have cats and dogs. The, tr- we don't the trend attract. is growing. This is scary. Yeah. Mountain lion, another name for mountain lion is a cougar. Because we were talking about, was it a jaguar that was loose yeah. somewhere? And then there was in Arizona. A, there was another one that uh, got loose in India, got into a school. Or, that that was, was a, last week. Was that an elephant? No, that was, that was a oh, big cat. Oh, that was cat. the school. That's right. There was an elephant yeah. in, in India also that went on a rampage. India there was, is dangerous. There was another elephant in China, I believe it was. He was, re, he was rebuffed by a, a female elephant that he was trying to, you know— Take on a date. Take on a date. And so it, it busted through whatever cage or whatever it was in and started going down the street just running into cars. He was ticked off. Just knocking cars around. Rejection. Plus we talked that about- was, That was a Valentine's Day thing too. Oh, so. that was Poor great, elephant. Plus know? we talked about the crocodile that somebody had kept in their basement in Chicago for 26 years. Yes. 
These are all things that happened. A six-foot crocodile and now, or alligator. Cougars, mountain lions, or eating cats and dogs in San Francisco. Get off the computer, folks. Your animals are dying while you're watching a cat video. It's like you're being unfaithful watching another cat video that's cute while your cat is being chased by a big cat. (sighs) You can't stop them from getting social. Nope. Social, social media. Social, okay, in the background. Today we're talking technology, folks. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, Tim Caulfield will be joining us from Edmonton, Canada, at the University of Alberta. He's on the Faculty of Law in the School of Public Health. We're talking about the real impact that the Internet is having on your brain. Is it scrambling your brain? We spend more time online than sleeping. Did you know that? Scary. Stick with us, folks, helping you understand what is really going on, the impact of the Internet on our brains, and then what we should be doing about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Twitter. I think I'm a big, big loser. Then I Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. How much time would you say you spend on the Internet? Surfing, connecting through social media, tweeting, watching movies, fact-checking, email, work, you know, checking the weather, buying your food, clothing, tickets, you know, all that stuff. These days you can do near basically everything you'd ever want to do can be done just through the Internet. But an important question um, that we might want to ask is, should we be doing everything on the Internet? Is it even possible to go a day without the Internet? Our guest today is Tim Caulfield. He is a professor uh, or a professional debunker and a professor in the Faculty of Law and um, the the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. And uh, he, he's written a wonderful – or was cited and written extensively in an article from Salon.com called uh, – or titled, The Internet is Scrambling Our Brains. We spend more time online than sleeping, and here, here's how it's messing us up, where as a professional debunker, he went about looking at all of the research. So, Tim Caulfield, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Love the article and just your insight and your willingness to – to, to you know, tear it apart for us. First of all, talk about it. How much time are we spending on the internet? The average person, a crazy amount of time. Yeah, it's funny. I I actually got into this because we were doing research on things like Twitter and the impact of Twitter. So I was sort of drawn into into this this field. And you start looking at the numbers, and it's staggering. So you know, it really varies it depends on how you how you look at it. Some studies put as much as, you know, if you're talking about screen time, right? So you're right. looking at your computer seven, eight hours a day for some people. And, it, and it's not surprising if you work at places, but kids are doing this too. There's a study done in the U.K. that found the average kid spends 27 hours a, uh, a week. Holy on, Yeah, on, and that's like social media stuff, right? So yeah. it's, it's crazy, right? So then some studies have found that we, we average about an hour a day for some, in some segments on, on Facebook alone. So... Yeah, this is a really big part of being a human now, right? This is a big part of our lives. So I think that's why we're starting to see a lot of really interesting research emerge around this. And the other interesting thing, of course, is uh, this has become a really fascinating way 
that ideas are spread now. This is how we learn about things, and that is also having really important social implications. Really, I guess there's physiological issues. Like, if you're spending seven to eight hours a day, that's more time than you're probably sleeping. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, that's true on two levels. One, you're spending too much time on social media and not enough time sleeping, which is another really interesting issue attached to this whole phenomenon. As you probably know, uh, most Americans, most Canadians, most uh, people don't get enough sleep, and there's increasing studies to show that. Uh, you, you know, we should be averaging somewhere between seven and eight, seven and nine, depending on you know your own individual needs. And uh, most people aren't doing that. As many as 60% of people aren't getting enough sleep, and it is tied to social media use. Now, this just isn't the you know the the warning that we shouldn't have our tablets or smartphones in in bed with us. Right? We you know the whole idea that blue light is keeping us up and right. making us not sleep as well. It's also tied to doing social media throughout the day. This multitasking world that we live in is associated with not sleeping. So if you're checking your Facebook, there's one study came up very recently. Checking your your Facebook page frequently is associated with not sleeping well. Oh my heavens, we're pathetic. I guess we're just we're following the lead. In fact, one of the things in your article talks about it. And maybe this is it. The world is being engineered for distraction, right? So it's yeah. we're we're just following the lead of the. I mean, the instrument is going to create the use too. Yeah, I think that's a very you know interesting point. It, the, it is. I mean, you think about it. It's being engineered for us to to be distracted. You know, you have your pop ups come up on your on your. You know, I'm I'm so guilty of this myself. You know, it's one of those do as I say, not as I do kind of stories. Right. Cause, you know, you have your the pop ups come up in the corner of your of your computer. You check it out. You know, and the other interesting thing that happens is if you're working on a task at work. Uh, and you're feeling anxious about that task, oh, I can't get this finished, you have a tendency to shift to Twitter, to, to email, to Facebook, right? It's, it's a way of escaping that task. So we have all these tools at our fingertips that allow us to, to be distracted and to give the illusion of multitasking, when in fact, instead of really multitasking, you're just doing a bunch of things, a bunch of things poorly. <laughs> so. It's so true. We just had an expert on, too, about attention and – or, I mean, about uh, procrastination, and it's true. All of – we use all of these other, uh, these other, you know, tools, apps, but in reality, we're, we feel like we're still busy. Like, I'm, it's not like I wasn't at work, Tim. Come on. I've been at work yeah, all day. Right. I just have been distracted 70 percent of it. Yeah, you know, it's funny, and I don't know if you guys covered this, but but studies have also shown that there's an inverse correlation between the belief that you can multitask and your ability to multitask. <laughs> I believe that. And in other words, those that think they're really good at multitasking are the ones that are really bad at it. <laughs> One study found only 2.5% of the population can actually multitask efficiently. The rest of us, and let's be honest, that's, you know, almost everybody yeah. uh, is terrible at it. And yet we, the majority think we are the bomb. Yeah, that's we right. are, and that's, there's other studies that show that, right? We all think we're, we're awesome. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're terrible at multitasking, and that's partly because you have this, this uh, the drain that happens on your brain when you switch, right? It creates a cognitive drain whenever you have to switch between tasks. So, you know, God damn it, get it done. Look at yeah. it. Yeah, no, totally. Focus on your project and get it done. Do you, do you when you think about it, I mean, is this just uh, – an aversion we all have to advancing technology or 
Like, I mean, I remember growing up and my mom was like, you're going to go blind watching that much television. Your brain's going to shrink. But you're a, you're a health researcher. You're doing this really for health's sake. What, um, what in the world are you finding about what it's doing to our health? So this, I think this is really important caution that you're, you know, caveat that we should, you know, in, inject here is you, we got to be careful not to just bash technology yeah. right, or bash the new thing cause, because, as you just pointed out, you're, you're exactly right. It happens every generation. You know, comic books are going to kill us. Comic books are making kids evil, right? Movies are terrible. TV's terrible. You know, it's it's always we've heard that every single generation, every single evolution uh, that we've seen in in the realm of media. Uh, and and this is the same thing. I mean, there's lots of really good things associated with this. This is, you know, it's not going away. Uh, so uh, we also have to realize there are these good things associated with it. Uh, but we need to understand the harm it can have uh, on our lives so we can get, sort of try to get the best out of it, right? right. But it is having an impact, on, I think, on our ability to sleep. It's having an impact on our ability to concentrate. It's having an impact on, you know, probably on our productivity, and I think that that's, there's evidence to support that. Uh, there's also evidence it's having an impact on perhaps, in, you know, for some communities on um, body image. You know, you think of Instagram. There's some studies emerging on, on how you know, we're, we are evolutionarily predisposed to be um, social comparators. We can't stop but compare ourselves to others. Mm. There's interesting research that shows that. Now our social comparators are, you know, you know, models being projected to us onto our phone, right? So you have this kind of social comparison going on. So there's image, you know, some studies that suggest that's problematic. So, yeah, there, there are a lot of things that are having an adverse effect. Because there are some good stuff, too, that we could talk about, though. Yeah, in fact, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back and continue the discussion with you, Tim. Um, I want to find out about the positive stuff. Also find out about... Uh, you know the the way media is created. Um, it, it's I mean it's impacting us. I guess one health thing, risk is now we actually can't leave our home without many of us having a, a having nomophobia, the fear of not having our phone. What happens to us then? Um, we're gonna, we're learning about all of it: the good, the bad, the ugly. More with Tim Caulfield uh, from the University of Alberta and some of his um, wonderful work on understanding what's really happening with our brains when it comes to the impact of the internet. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, honored to have professor in the Faculty of Law School and the School of Public Health at the University of Alberta. He joins us. Tim Caulfield's his name, and he is a uh, he's a wonderful uh, writer and researcher. He is the Canada Research Chair in Health, Law, and Policy, and a professor um, of uh, law. But he also has published over 300 articles and book chapters and is a fellow at the Trudeau Foundation. But one of his interesting um, articles is called The Cure for Everything, Untangling the Twisted Messages About Health, Fitness, and Happiness. Actually, that's a book. And another book, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? When Celebrity Culture and Science Clash, which is a book that was just recently released. Timothy Caulfield, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Hello. 
love uh, love your stuff because the reality is with the internet too it it all seems you know so accurate everyone can have a voice everyone can have an opinion everyone can throw out an assertion and so one of the fears i have just as i'm raising my kids is this thought that if if kids are on if all of us on average are on the internet 7 to 8 hours a day and my teens might even be more you know cuz they they really are so into it all of a sudden i worry where are they going to get their information from where are they learning what's real in life and what's not and apparently it's not all right. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's the exact stuff that drew um, you know, m- myself into it and also my whole research team into it is, is how the information is spread yeah. uh, on the Internet. And you, you are, you're, you're dead right. It's, it's very easy for um, inaccurate ideas to spread and take hold. And so there's this fascinating tension with, with the Internet and with, you know, with Twitter, with, with Facebook. On the one hand, you have this wonderful marketplace of ideas, right? Right, Where, right. You know, all these ideas can get out there and everyone can share their thoughts. And, you know, that's, that's sort of the ideal, that the best case scenario. But unfortunately, and there's been some really interesting research that's come out on this, the opposite can happen where where bad ideas can thrive because you have this sort of cognitive bias this co- this confirmation bias that that comes into play where where everyone who agrees on the same crazy idea can start sharing their idea mm. and then it confirms that belief for you and it happens that it can happen at all levels with you know teenagers and you know some urban myth you know right up to to myths about vaccinations right so uh, it is a fascinating problem and, uh, you know, curious how we could fix it. Well, that is fascinating because it's social media now. Can People can gang up and uh, like-minded groups could go try to influence dramatically the argument without real statement of fact or without real evidence. Right. You get these echo chambers, these yeah. virtual echo chambers that start to form. And, you know, the vaccination myth is a really good example of it. You see it emerge on, you know, controversial topics like GMOs and climate change, uh, where people of like minds, you know, they start talking to each other and it seems truer to them, right, mm-hmm. because of that. So, you know, one of the recommendations is always look for different perspectives, you know, force yourself to get outside of your bubble. I always say, you know, go burst your bubble and explore other ideas. Uh, and, I, and I think that kids need to be taught that, too. They need to be taught critical skills on, on how to navigate the Internet, how to navigate information uh, on the Internet. I guess that is one of the tools that we can use to combat this is educating our children in you know, in in their own – utilizing their own thinking and multiple sourcing and, and looking for little things. I mean now all of a sudden you can have a news article, what seems like a news article on CNN, but it's really a sponsored article from a, a marketer, a marketing company that is just pitching their goods. Yeah, that's right. But it, it looks it, like a story. It also – it happens in research too, right? You know how these articles that come out, they look like a real research paper. It looks like a real research journal. And it really is just part, as you know, a uh, part of marketing. And the other thing that can happen, and this happens a lot with, with platforms like Instagram, and it really is aimed at kids often, uh, where you have these Instagram stars, these social media stars, and it looks like they have these 
spontaneous pictures of their lives, right? Mm-hmm. And they're really advertisements, and they're carefully curated. And, you know, they probably starved themselves for a week to get yeah. the shot. <laughs> and it looks like it's a completely candid shot of them in their lives when they've, someone's actually paying them to wear the dress, to be in that location, and they've got a pro- professional photographer who's taking the pic, right? It's not their buddy at the mall. Uh, but uh, that creates this illusion of of a reality that doesn't exist, right? And uh, we're even seeing, you know, Kim Kardashian. Uh, you can't have a, a discussion <laughs> no, about No, I knew she was coming up sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Without raising her name. Kim Kardashian is marketing pharmaceuticals on Instagram. Oh, right? sure. So you have, you have this kind of thing happening, and it looks like it is this, really casual picture, and it creates this illusion that we know this person, person, this parasocial relationship, which increases the power of, of the message. Holy cow. Oh, my heavens. Kim Kardashian is pitching pharmaceuticals. Like yeah, That's right. She is. It, uh, it was a... Uh, a, a, a pregnancy drug, and she, you know, she was holding it up, and it was like, oh, OMG, of course. Okay. <laughs> this is a great drug, and you know, avoiding saying the name. Yeah, and um, and it, it's interesting because that is that regulated by the FDA. You know, is that even legal in any country? Right? Can you do that? And so, it's can you regulate a Kardashian? That is the question. <laughs> the answer is no. Apparently, <laughs> That's right? Exactly right. I mean, really, and then. I mean, and you see it too with uh, in the in the political world, Donald Trump. I mean, the ability to tweet whatever you want, whenever you want, and and get and then get legitimate news agencies to pick it up, run with it, and speak of it as factual. Yeah, it's almost like truth doesn't matter anymore, mm-hmm. right? It's it's really getting you know things to circulate as, as fast as possible, and this also raises another interesting phenomenon here. Uh, you know, it's something I always, always encourage the research community to do is, you know, don't shy away from social media because it sounds like, you know, we're bash, bashing social media, but, you know, you need the good voices there, too. Absolutely. So encouraging re- researchers, get involved, get engaged. When you see something on social media that is not true or you have a different perspective, become part of the discussion and get the truth out there and link to reliable, trustworthy sources that are independent, that people can, we have to give those, you know, that, those kinds of messages uh, more traction, right? So I think that, you know, ironically, one of the solutions is to have good voices, good trusted voices, people that are doing the research involved in the discussion. Hmm. And um, so talk more about what, what else is like what's good about this like what's good about what's happening to even how we our our ability to focus like i mean i remember a study um somewhere just about the attention span might be shrinking but some of that is just simply because we are choosing to use our brains are becoming using the like google and other search engines as a means to just to to do the research, we don't re, we don't have to keep everything in our heads anymore. We can just go to Google when we need to. That seems yeah, positive. Is, yeah, there is there is that positive, right? This idea. Look, it is a ridiculously fantastic source of information. You know, I spend, yeah, I spend hours and hours. You know, I'm a researcher, so I you know spend hours on online you know researching. So I mean, there's that obvious advantage. But there's also some interesting things around health, where you know I talked about the downside of social comparison. But then there's the positive side of creating online communities, right, where 
where you can find like-minded individuals. There, there have been some great body image um, uh, movements that have happened uh, on, on Instagram and on Twitter where people are, are just trying to, you know, really accepting the way they look. That's fantastic, right? And then finding communities of people that agree with that. You find it, you find uh, perhaps there are individuals who have a particular health uh, issue. They can find communities that have the similar issue and share ideas. That kind of stuff is great. There's been some studies that show that it can be used to motivate exercise, right, mm. where you find communities. So those are, you know, all, all great things. And uh, also, I think the, that you can spread good, th- good news about health, right? You can spread, uh, help to spread information about what, what research is emerging, about, about exercise, about healthy living through uh, um, social media. All of those things are good, right? And so I think what we need to do is figure out how to get more of the good and a little less of the bad. Yeah, but maybe, you're, maybe you can't have Kardashian involved. Just an well, idea. Yeah, this is, you know, uh, I think this is, you know, and this, of course, I do a lot of research on the impact of, of celebrity culture. And I, I'm kind of starting to agree, I agree with that. I know it sounds like a radical idea, but I, I think that, you know, celebrities should not be involved in complex health issues. Let's have them making statements about organ donation and right, there you go. smoke and, you know, those things where it's unequivocal and clear, you know, don't drink and drive mm-hmm. and stay away from, you know, these complex things about, you know, dieting and, and cancer screening and those kinds of things where it's, the message is much uh, you know more complex and i think you need a more nuanced message celebrities not great with nuance yeah and and espe- yeah and especially real true science like um you know immunizations and it can get a little gummed up and a lot of people can immediately be confused that, that's right, and that's the other problem with social media is, and there's, again, fascinating studies that show this, is it circulates, it helps to circulate these bad ideas. So even if you don't think Jenny McCarthy is a credible source of information, and I think very few Americans would say she's a credible source of information, she keeps the idea alive and circulating, right? Right. And, and just the fact that that idea is circulating out there uh, gives it a degree of power. Oh, true. Is there a difference between the different social media you know, sources, um, Facebook, Twitter? Uh, do you see a difference between these and the impact they have on the user? Um, you know, I think that, that uh, and again, that's a great question, because increasingly it looks like there's a little bit of segmentation happening. I think Twitter is increasingly being used more for business and for research, uh, you know, less, you know, when it first came out, it was much, and for, the, for news. Um, and so in, that, in those realms, then perhaps that's the, the, the most powerful force. When the, a, a broader, you know, narrative is involved, you know, Facebook uh, and when you're talking about images, increasingly Instagram, right? So you yeah. have these different these different kinds of platforms having different kinds of influences, giving given uh, depending on the, the audience that is its primary uh, focus. What what do we do? I mean, h- how do we turn off this culture? I mean, I guess everyone's it's intriguing. What does Gwyneth Paltrow think? Um, I guess it's intriguing. But what what do we teach our kids? What would you suggest? As the parents that are listening, what should we be teaching our kids about the culture and about just being present and learning how to kind of own your own Internet use? Well, I'm a I'm a real science geek, so this is going to sound like a very new agey yeah. <laughs> coming from me. But I think there's something this idea – I even cringe saying this phrase, but I'm going to forward it because I think there's actually science to back it up. I think the idea is you got to be more in the moment, right? I right. think teaching that to kids – 
it's meaningful, right? This idea of trying to appreciate the moment. The other thing in, in, you, we have to teach, and, and this is starting to happen more and more in schools all around the world, is that kind of critical media studies, right? You know, to, to be more skeptical, to be more critical about what you're seeing online, to give them those critical, you know, those tools, right? Mm-hmm. Those intellectual tools to be critical. I think that's important and that's starting to happen. And the other thing I think is uh, um, teaching kids the degree to which this is an illusion, right? What you are seeing is an illusion. And we're starting to see school, schools do that more often, but I think families can do that too, right? Really sitting down and say, look, this is not reality, what you're looking at. This is entertainment. And if we can you know, keep it in the realm of entertainment, uh, I think that helps too. That's why, it's, it's again, it's funny to hear them trying to even pin that like on Donald Trump as an entertainer, right? He's not our He's not a politician. He's an entertainer. But the reality of it is we can't always discern what's entertainment, what's what's really, you know, a good leader, what's good what's good politics. It, I, I think these are skills that everybody needs. It, I, and I've even noticed in my own world, I didn't gain this critical thinking until I think I was in my second master's program on a way to a doctorate. But how do we how do I get it in my kids today, I hopefully, like you're saying, that becomes part of the curriculum. And it is. In, in, my, in Canada, it actually is becoming, you know, I've got four kids, and they've all got been subjected to at least a little bit of that in both junior high and high school. So that's good. That's great. Starting to see that, you're starting to see that trend, and I love that, right? Uh, but I think, you know, people can just talk about it more more generally. I'm like you, you know, I, I used to really fall for, you know, even though I had done, you know, my science degree and all that, I used to fall for stuff myself. Right? Yeah. It's easy to get pulled into the, that those stories because they are so powerful and they're circulating so much. You know, the the other, I think, skill set that people need is this idea of avoiding the multitasking, right? And I fall for it, too, every day. I'll probably fall for it 15 minutes after I hang up with you. <laughs> But really trying to be disciplined and and finish tasks. I, I think that, you know, uh, that is also an incredibly important skill we can teach our kids. You know, I see my kids looking at their – there's this, there was this great image. It was finals at the university recently, and there was this beautiful study hall on campus. And every – you know, all the kids are in there. They got their books open. And I swear to God, every single kid was looking at their phone. Oh. I, I was going to take a picture, but I thought, you know, you don't want to invade their privacy. That would be so awesome. Yeah, then you'd have to blur out their faces. It really speaks to the generation, right? No, it really does. And, and too, like I, I see my son pulling his out all the time, and my first reaction is, oh. But then, then I find out what he's doing is watching, um, you know, watching this science demonstration of how many, how many planets you can put between the moon and the earth. From our solar system, and how many, how much space would between be, would be between each planet? And I'm like, okay, that's not so bad. I thought at least you're not Kardashianing it right now. Um, but I, I think you're right too. There's a point where we need to learn to just single task, monotask. That's powerful. Well, Tim, thank you. Appreciate uh, your great insight. Tim Caulfield, again, go check out his books, uh, Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? When C- Celebrity Culture and Science Clash, and also uh, the another book, The Cure for Everything, Untangling the Twisted Messages About Health, Fitness, and Happiness. Timothy Caulfield's his name. Uh, great, great resource up there um, at the University of Alberta, Canada. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this uh, second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, we're doing what we can on the show to give you the information, the tools you need to live longer, healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. Stick with us. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We, uh, we've been talking about the impact of the Internet on your brain. Does it make it all mushy? No. Unless you're a Kardashian. No, it doesn't. Come on. But again, folks, we got to learn to be a, a media critic, right? We got to know what's what's real, what's not, who we should trust. We cannot equate a media personality to a, a you know a strong source of knowledge about any topic, really, right? Wouldn't you rather have a researcher? Wouldn't you really rather have somebody that's studied it, that maybe doesn't have a, that's maybe not making money to be a pitch person? It's hard. It's it's really hard to, to know who to trust and what to trust. And, you know, there's, that's our responsibility as parents is we can step in and start to create just conversations, more and more conversations. And uh, what I'm finding with my family is it doesn't – you don't have to make this a big formal thing. It's just constant. Keep bringing it up every time you get a chance. Every time you see a story on the news, use the story as a catalyst to talk. These discussions, one by one, your kids are listening. They're hearing it. They know what's going on. When you see that, do you really think that's happening? That's. Do you think that that person really uses that? Do you think they really look like that? Anyway, a lot of this is just, it's hard. I mean, parenting's hard enough. Now all of a sudden I've got, a, I've got my children looking at a screen eight, nine hours a day. That's not even including television, right? That's just computers, cell phones, iPads, seven to eight, nine hours a day. Ah, boy. At least they're going to school. No, they're not, actually. 24,152 students played hooky the day the Broncos uh, had their parade. Denver Public Schools, you know, were pretty vacant. More than a quarter of enrolled students missed school in Denver last week when the city celebrated the Denver Broncos Super Bowl parade. Denver Public Schools released numbers saying uh, that 24,152 students had had an excused or unexcused absence from one class period or more on Tuesday. That's 26% of the 90,200-plus students. Principals dealt with a flood of voicemails from parents calling to excuse their children. But late in the morning, schools also saw a stream of parents going to school to pick up their students. Yeah, sure. 74% of the parents kept their kids in school. You know, I would have gone if I had a chance. My favorite day in school was when it would snow. Snow day! Oh, that's where I really gained my faith in life, that I could pray for a miracle. And one out of ten times it happened. We didn't have to go to school. Hey, uh, check out this crazy um, uh, Bad Boys segment. Investigators say they believe they've identified a man wanted in connection with the theft of more than $1,500 in chewing gum. 
Regional police say a man took the gum from a pharmacy north of Toronto in December. Investigators say the man went to the drugstore on the evening of December 17th, and video surveillance shows he went uh, to the candy aisle, filled a garbage bag with gum, and left. (laughs) Wow. A few moments later, he reentered the store, filled another garbage bag with chewing gum, and walked out again. Police say they believe he loaded both garbage bags containing chewy gum worth $1,528 into a waiting taxi, and they drove away. I'm pretty sure I know how you'd catch him. How? Or identify him. How would you identify him? The sound. That's not gum. I'm pretty sure it is. It's like that um, big leagues gum, like the sub. Yeah, he's got a lot of it, apparently. Yeah. There's a lot of people that can't hear, they can't listen to the sound because it makes them cringe. Yeah, our, our listenership drops by 50%. Every time. Yeah. I love it because it reminds me of you, Ben. I know. It's, it's, it's like Ben just had breakfast. It's like our moment when <laughs> I start eating my granola bar. <laughs> You're, yeah, or anything really. Yeah. You just got a lot of saliva in there. Generally, the wet stuff is what brings it out the most. But Blah, blah. Uh, anyway, that's, uh, that's it. Playing hooky and chewing gum. That's a, it's a life made for children. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, more ideas, more tools. We're going to be talking about your health, how to stay healthier, and uh, exercise. You know, apparently that's part of it, too. We're going to be getting into um, the real research on it. With our good friend, Dr. Ron Hager, will be joining us from uh, the Exercise Sciences College here at Brigham Young University. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on this side. Remember, we are the show that we don't. We're here to help. We care about you and yours. We try. I don't know if we achieve actually helping anyone, but... Oh, we do. I, I get calls all the time. Really? Oh, yeah. I hear something different, but okay. I think we help the people from Florida mostly. Yeah. Well, we help a lot. Our Bad Boys segment is a definitive moment of help. We're trying to change the stupid criminal to right. be a better... Class of a less stupid criminal. Yeah. Studies have shown that criminals in Florida have become more successful. Nine out of ten dentists agree. There's always that one. That criminals in – it's not just Florida. We don't want Florida to get a bad name. Oh, no. We're equal opportunity when we'll it comes to the dumb criminal. dumb criminals from every neck of the woods just to sound healthy and proper. Hey, um, today uh, you may have heard. Um, let me just get this clear. Okay, Ted Cruz is a liar, and Donald Trump is an entertainer, not a politician. Okay, <gasps> exactly. I know, man. It's like we scared people. Rubio seems just happy to be 
alive. He's doing well. Is he? Yeah. Okay. I mean, relatively. But Could Donald's the man to beat. Donald is on top still. And yes, he, he claims that Ted Cruz is a liar. The biggest liar he's ever known. And he may sue him. He may he may sue him. He still questions his, his leadership. Yeah. And and then you come back to he's going to possibly I mean again, this is probably like the seventh time he said he's going to sue Ted Cruz. Mm-hmm. But he wants to sue Ted Cruz. You just very rarely do you hear somebody threaten to sue them. Because he's Canadian and he lies. <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, that's politics. That's all you needed to know. That was the weekend. Uh, cool. Bernie's still got the burn. He's doing, you know, people like him. And why shouldn't they? I'm asking I don't you. I don't know why they shouldn't. Okay. Other than a lot of his ideas seem sort of fantastical. Well, that this is the year of fantastical. But there's only one candidate that's okay with it going pretty much the same way. Who's that? Mrs. Clinton. Oh, okay. She wants it to be exactly the way it is. Don't right. change anything. I'll right. be your leader. And you don't have to be right to be elected. I mean... No, you just have to look good. Exactly. Good hairdresser. What do you think Bernie's chances are? Uh, in, the, in the Democratic, I would say... Do you think Hillary percent chance? Do you think Hillary starts to pull away and build on a lead? I I thought that a long time ago. I mean now, except I don't think now. You think now he's after working t- it after what two contests, three contests? No, well, two but contests. he's yeah, but he's 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 got something. What's that? He's captured the intrigue of the people. They like that he's taking on the establishment. But in every cycle, isn't there someone who has success and then it just sort of that person, then somebody, you know, pulls yeah. away basically, you know, and he has a lot of ideas that are, that are, are, are good right. on, on say the surface, but then how do you execute such things without I, causing I think, damage to the country? I think that's the hard part is he's going to have a hard time in the end winning, but winning is just wearing Clinton down. It is. And then- that's scary because if she's weakened, she was supposed to just sit back and this was supposed kind of to be, stockpile money and, yeah. and wait for the general election. But a now coronation she's to find it that out. wasn't without a crown. So you know, I don't know. It's weird because I think the Clintons are thinking: Is he still here? Did you not get the memo? There is some of that. I think they didn't and, and he think is going, he put it together like he, he is. Has. Bernie is going against the the Democratic uh, leadership mm-hmm. as he, they've on. Uh, you you see how they set up the debate structure, right. how they set up everything. It was just Hillary's going to do it, so no one else run, <laughs> and no one else did. And then Bernie says, "Forget it." Start decides to run, and actually, you know, he's mounting this challenge. People like him. Well, and, and again, I don't think any of this has to do with. They, he just speaks what's in the minds of the people, as does Trump. Yes. I mean, not all the people, but a certain percentage are frustrated. And I don't think I – think, I think Hillary's been kind of tone deaf to it. But it's – well, yeah. And it's good. She has to actually adjust to what he's saying. Right. Whereas if she was just sitting around waiting to be handed the crown, then 
But adjusting is is killing her because it's it moving her more and more left. And who knows where's, what's happening on the right. On the other side, yeah. who's the next Republican to drop out, do you think? Mm. I don't think oh, Kasich. I don't know. You don't think so? I don't know. He just finished second. I know. But and then he then he immediately got on a plane to Michigan, which was interesting mm-hmm. if you look at the calendar. Michigan's several weeks away, and there's several contests in between. But he immediately went to Michigan after New Hampshire. I think it's. I think the big deal is money, and apparently a bunch of the big money people in the GOP they're not spending their money. No, they're holding back on their money because it doesn't seem to be doing anything. No. So until they probably have two or three that they force out by not giving them money. That'll sh- that'll change the numbers a lot. How long do you think Carson hangs around? Oh yeah, Carson, I could see going next. He seems he, he still gets vulnerable. money though, and a lot of people love him. And I mean, he's a great guy. It's just what do you do? He he answers. He needs to work on his presentation. He comes across yeah. very soft. You know what he reminds me of? What's that? A brain surgeon. You Why? know what I mean? No. I don't know. I don't know how a brain surgeon acts or talks or behaves. <laughs> Just like Ben Carson. Other than they keep but saying But in a way, this. don't you love that? That's so different. Well, you kind of need someone <sighs> to be assertive and to just put their ideas out there and talk about them like he's actually thought about it instead of that he's like trying to build a thought as he's conversing with you. Oh, he's thought about it. He's just not fake. We're all used to kind of – give me a number. Seven. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your strong will and willingness to say that. Okay. So you you like a little bit of at least sounding like you're a little indecisive. I just want somebody that has a brain, a clue, and cares and is a leader and isn't doing this by a poll. Do they have to present themselves in a presidential manner? Yes. Isn't that fake in itself? No one is – no one is presidential. You have to act that way. Well, right. So, but you're not the president yet. But you also don't call people a stupid liar. You don't comment on their face or their hair. Right. You and you have facts to back up your position. Well, and an ideology that you believe in. Okay. Heaven forbid. That's one reason I think Bernie's killing it because everyone knows he believes in. Yes. Socialism. You don't have any. There's no. You watch what he says, and you don't have any question. This is what he he believes it. Yeah. But then the rest, a lot of them are wavering. Like, do you really believe this? I don't know. A lot of Jeb Bush's problem, I think, is he can't present himself well. No, I think he goes to speak and he stumbles, and I think he'd be fantastic. And he's a, but he's a Bush, and that bugs a lot of the people. But I don't know. And there's no crystal ball. And then nice. a Supreme Court justice dies. Yeah, which just causes and everything more. Everything gets turned upside down. Anyway, luckily we've only got what? Till November. Yeah. Yay. It's only like the entire summer, most of the fall, and oh. half the winter. It's great. Good stuff. Anyway, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the world? Former Florida Governor Jeb Bush said Tuesday on CBS This Morning that he knows why Donald Trump is constantly coming after him and his brother. He goes, I'm his primary target. I'm doing so poor in the polls, according to everybody, right? Well, why is that? Why is he going after me each and every day, Bush said. It's because he fears me, because I'm the only guy standing up to him. Bush vows to keep speaking out against Trump, who he criticized as not, not representing conservative values. So do you think Trump is afraid of Bush? Yes. 
Absolutely. Really? Yep. I don't know. I, I mean, think I think he sees an easy target. Well, I think what he him. sees is that's where all the money will go if he lasts for a while. So he might be laying low. It just seems like he's punching down for no reason. He's always punching down. It's interesting. Hillary Clinton has been accused of being too stiff. Have you heard that? Uh, yes, I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, the Democratic presidential frontrunner has anything but uh, was anything but at a Monday campaign stop in Reno, Nevada. Clinton referenced an old radio ad that suggested training dogs to bark whenever a politician says something that isn't true. The dog would help fact check the oh, politician great. along yeah, the way. Everyone needs one. So, uh, politicians, should they bark? Future president of the United States has got a barking message. She's barking now. But by the way, with one of the lowest trust ratings, I mean, again, do you not... You know that's going to be is that tone, Is that tone deaf? Is that what you're yeah, talking about? tone deaf. People don't trust her. She's talking about fact-checking. It's like dog deaf where you can only hear that whistle <laughs> at that barking. pitch. A new study out of Cornell University finds that people tend to eat more in cluttered kitchens than ones that are orderly. Well, Be- yeah, because you know you ate it. Being in a chaotic environment seems to lead people to think everything else is out of control, so why shouldn't I be, says the lead author in a new, a new, sur- a new uh, study released. To test this, the team in- introduced 101 women, one at a time, into a messy tidy or tidy kitchen and asked them to write about a time when they felt control and others to write a time about a time when they felt out of control. The same snacks were available in both kitchens, cookies, crackers, and carrots. Those in messy kitchens who wrote about feelings of being out of control ate 103 calories worth of cookies. Hmm. Double their uh, double what their clean kitchen counterparts with the same writing assignment ate. Those in the messy kitchens who wrote about being in control ate just 38 calories of cookies. Wow. So a messy kitchen will make you eat more, allegedly. Keep it clean, folks. Keep well, do, it clean. Did you think that's real? Totally. You think so? Yeah, because you didn't know how many you ate because it's such a mess. Like, were there 10 pounds of carrots or 20 pounds of carrots? Who even knows? I think I'll have another carrot. I think I'll have another carrot. And then you just munch another carrot. So messy kitchens will help you. Good learning. So that's... clean up your kitchen, clean up your environment. You'll be more productive and healthy. How many carrots are there here? Absolutely. Uh, just a, a little warning here for people in Palm Beach, Florida. Yeah. Huge audience down there. Uh, just... Just know that tens of thousands of sharks are also right <laughs> off your coastline there. Biological science professor Stephen Quare just shot stunning video off the bat of a black tip shark migration, which runs from Miami Beach up to the Jupiter Inlet, so right up the, yeah. the coast there. Uh, it's so cool, he tells CBS 12, there are literally tens of thousands of sharks a stone throws away from our shoreline. He says that's pretty cool. You could throw a pebble and literally hit a shark. They are that close. People are still swimming in the area, and no beaches have been shut down. uh, It seems that the locals know what precautions to take, says uh, local news reports. The uh, scientist says black tips rarely bite people in the area, and no black tip bites in Florida have been fatal. Okay, then get out there, Jimmy. The sharks are known to feed on squids, stingrays, and fish. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I've never been I've never I've never been attacked by a Utah fan 
at a BYU-Utah game. Okay. But I know not to wade into a group of them. Right. This is correct. Wearing my blue. This is true. Because something's going to happen. So what you're saying is don't walk out into a group of sharks. Thousands of sharks. Yes. Tens. Is, there seems like the, this is the day you don't go in the water. Yes. Let them go. Do you think someone will? Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Apparently, we're, they're we're, all still, no one's like worried. We'll read about them tomorrow, probably. Yeah. All you need is a little blood in the water. So if you're in Palm Beach or just off Miami Beach, be careful. I wouldn't go out there. Yeah, stay away. It's like a bad BYU-Utah game. I mean, I don't want to generalize. <sighs> People. It's all fun and games until you just get nipped. Then blood fills the water. Then the next thing you know, black tip death. That's why we're here, folks, to give you the information you need to live longer. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to teach you about exercise and your memory, your brain, and your brain on exercise. Who better to do that than the master of the brain and the exercise? Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us, associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at BYU. Stick with us, folks. We're talking exercise and your brain up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're pleased to have Dr. Ron Hager with us. He is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. He is an expert in chronic disease prevention and an expert in memory and exercise, except today he didn't remember. I'm more of an expert in forgetting. You are forgetting. We all are experts in forgetting. You didn't remember you were on today. No, no. Two weeks ago, I was supposed to be on and I had to go uh, to a funeral. Yeah. And I, I, so I did remember that, but then with uh, missing two weeks ago and then the holiday yesterday, I you just forgot. Kind of my rhythm was off. And yeah, it's because you weren't exercising quite as much. Yeah, and then about five p.m. yesterday, I saw a nice email reminder <laughs> from Terry. And well, that, I'm glad you I, saw I, it, and that was good. Yeah. Uh, and anyway, is it is it true? Is there a correlation between memory and exercise? Well, you know, a lot of people think about a correlation between memory and aging. Yeah, for sure. You know, like uh, the older you get, the less you can remember, the less kind of cognitive functioning you have. And 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 the reason that's such a, you know, a pervasive thought is because it's true. As you get older, you um you you, you don't function as well hmm. men- mentally. And is now, that what's happening? Now there are some people, you know, who you know, even into their 90s, uh, you know, they're very lucid. They're very aware. They tend to do very well. And that's probably because genetically they are predisposed, you know, to resist the the things that can relate to cognitive decline and dementia and, you know, the different things. Uh, but for most of us, uh, you know, we don't have that, you know, perfect genetic constitution. And so we become susceptible you know, with the effects of aging. But, you know, we talk a lot about uh, age-related effects. Right. And, you know, like like high blood pressure, for example. Uh, if you look, you know, anywhere online, 
uh, about you know blood pressure trends, you'll see that blood pressure goes up as you get older. And so experts and statisticians, they say that's an age-related effect. But I, I mostly disagree with yeah, that. Yeah, you think that's like that. more lifestyle problem. I think it's more lifestyle. So, so when we talk about memory or, or hypertension or whatever, but when we talk about memory, to say that it's a, an age-related effect, I think is a little bit misleading. It's, it's the effect of lifestyle over, over the time. decades of your <laughs> yeah. life. That finally catches up to you later in life. Yeah, you can't outrun the effects anymore. Like when you're younger, maybe you can outrun the effects of harder living or exactly poor eating health, exactly. eating habits. But if you maintain those habits over a lifetime, you can't at some point, it. you know, heart disease, high blood pressure, huh. cancer, uh, high cholesterol, uh, loss of memory functioning or cognitive functioning, it catches up to you. And it's not so much about getting older. It's about what you did or didn't do while you were aging over those decades. Right. That's a fascinating look at it because that's true. We just – instead of looking at our lives, we just assume aging is going to just automatically deliver a bunch of stuff. Well, and there is some truth to that. I mean you have to be careful. You can't say that you're not going to get older. I mean uh, mortality risk – increases the older you get. I mean, you get closer to death the older yeah. you get. So that's, you know, that's just something you have but to But you won't just accept. blow your hips out. But if you were a college football player right. and you've been using your hips excessively your entire life, age will help you blow your hips out. Exactly. Based on your lifestyle. Exactly. And so my point today is that is that while we might, you know, argue for you know, the rationale of age-related increases in risk, like for losing your memory, there is still something you can do to preserve it. So we call this uh, compression of morbidity, essentially morbidity meaning disease or decline. And we want to compress that to the least amount uh, at the end of life. You know, right. you, don't, you don't want to be the person who is experiencing disability, you know, for the last 10 years of your life. You want it to be maybe the last two years or the last two months or maybe even the last two weeks. Well, this is what we just – so Justice Antonin Scalia, we were talking about this in the first mm-hmm. hour, just passes away just yeah. of natural causes. Yeah. And yet then later they've had other comments about he had uh, heart issues and other stuff. So he's yeah. probably been suffering it for a while. But every, this is what I just dawned on me. Don, I mean, Ron, I just yeah. dawned on me. We're all going to die. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you finally. Hey, Ron, that. where have you been, man? <laughs> We're all. I mean, and again, like Justice Scalia didn't know he was going to die that night, no. but we're going to die. Yeah, and you're saying we don't want that to be a prolonged process, years of just suffering. Yeah. So what can you do? So are there things you can do, for example, to preserve your memory so that you remember your appointments, you remember your obligations, and and, and there's even aspects of memory like spatial memory. Hmm. Remember where you put things, yeah. You know, oh, or, yeah. or remember where things are. <laughs> you know, and it's just I, I'm laughing because you just had a problem with it. You forgot I, where I, your keys were. I bet. As I get older, I start to see these kinds of things. Um, but I do try and stay stay active. I, I want to share a quote with you. This comes from 1632, wow. the year 1632. Uh, this was a, a professor, basically at. Uh, uh, I, I, it was either Oxford or Cambridge University. I can't remember. His, his name's Robert Burton. He wrote a book um, called the uh, The Anatomy of Melancholy. Hmm. I think is what it was called. And 
And interestingly, he suffered from depression. Is uh, melancholy the same as depression? Yeah, I like, guess back yeah, then. Yeah, it's just kind of like a, you know depression or negative feelings. And anyway, he said so. Back in 1632, the op- he said opposite to exercise is idleness or want of exercise, the bane of body and mind, the chief author of all mischief, one of the seven deadly sins, and the sole cause of <laughs> melancholy. So maybe because he himself was experiencing issues of depression, he was actually observing in himself that when he's active... Now, I don't know if back in 1632 you really actually thought of, you know, formal exercise, uh, but he he apparently realized that when he was more active as opposed to less active, that his, his depression, or at least the symptoms, were... Well, abate, abated a little bit. And now we know about serotonin and all these things that happen by yeah. exercising. Yeah, yeah. So so there's all kinds of things that are going on. Uh, you know, the body, you have to understand, was was meant to move. I mean, you look at the way it's designed. You look at how you're able to, you know, transport yourself with your legs. You're able to lift things with your arms. I mean, your body was meant to function in a, a physical way. Yeah. I mean, it's a physical thing. And you think about the environment we live in now, where oh. where it is it's it's in, it's designed. The environment is designed to to make it so you don't have to move. I mean, you have chairs with wheels. Uh-huh. You have remote controls. You have uh, chairs everywhere. You sit in church. You sit in school. You sit in the car. You sit at work. You sit on the train. You sit on the plane. I mean, you sit in the airport. You can sit between train to train or plane to plane. <laughs> yeah, and and it's and so our, our environment prevents us from moving. Yet our bodies were designed to move. And what you said is true about you know a chemical called serotonin. But there's others too. There's certain proteins like brain derived neurotrophic factor. There are uh, certain other chemicals like insulin-like growth factor. Uh, there's all, there's all kinds of hormones and chemicals that actually flood the system essentially when you exercise. And of course, with with exercise or just physical activity, if you prefer to call it that, uh, your your respiration goes up, your yeah. circulation goes up. So you're actually getting more of these chemicals everywhere in the body, including the brain. And some experts, uh, uh, one uh, writer, author, and uh, physician, researcher that I, I know, I've heard of, his name's John Rady, he wrote a book called Spark, The Revolutionary New Science of Exercise in the Brain, and he's written some other things on this, and I've heard him speak and, and different things. He says that, that these chemicals uh, in, in, in higher concentrations actually become fertilizer for the brain. Wow, he says that, he, and he calls him he calls it miracle grow. And <laughs> when you exercise, uh, these chemicals can actually promote uh, new new cell growth in the brain hmm. and more complex uh, connections between neurons. So exercise can physically change the size and structure of certain parts of the brain, like the hippocampus, which is you know at least in part responsible for memory. And certain kinds of exercise, like aerobic exercise, the, the kind you do like, you know, jogging or running or cycling or swimming, uh, kind of, uh, you know, moderate intensity but higher duration, that those kinds of exercise particularly have been shown to enhance uh, spatial memory and 
uh, verbal memory. Mm. So your ability to, you know, rec- I, I mean, have you ever tried to say something like, oh, oh I, yeah. I, I'm thinking of this word. I know it. I know it. What is that well, word? Apparently aerobic exercise actually facilitates that specific kind of memory as well as spatial memory, whereas other kinds of exercise, like maybe resistance training, like lifting weights, um, can enhance certain other aspects of memory. Man, and and your neck. Then if you do enough of it, you don't even have a neck anymore. That's right. Well, you, your brain your brain gets so heavy, the neck muscles increase in their strength. And to then, hold the brain. Yeah, Let's yeah. do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Ron Hager uh, right here from the Life Sciences uh, College at Brigham Young University. Um, he's an expert in chronic disease prevention that he's teaching us about exercise and memory and uh, how, you know, just how you work your body could dramatically impact what your brain is capable of doing. Stick with us. We'll take a break. We'll be back in one minute. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with Dr. Ron Hager, chronic disease prevention expert and memory expert and exercise expert and food and health expert. Oh, I'm a, well, we defined, I think, a couple times ago when I was here what an expert is, so yeah. I, I accept those. Yeah, you're, those an, you're, a, yeah, you're an expert. That's right. An unknown drip. You're still a pert to us. Thanks. Um, Anyway, he uh, he brings us his information from right here on BYU campus. He's an associate professor on campus of exercise sciences, and uh, you're trying to get us to exercise more because yeah, well. so supposedly it's going to hold our brain together. But some people are worried about Alzheimer's. They're worried about dementia. Yeah, I mean, and with this aging population, the baby boomers, we just see more and more of that. Yeah, well, you know, Alzheimer's. Uh, Disease is a is practically a plague. I mean, yeah. and it's expected because we are an aging population. It's expected to you know the aging population is growing exponentially, and then consequently many of the diseases, as we've said, associated with aging, uh, you know, are are going off the charts as well. And so that yeah, there's some legitimate concern for that for uh, for, for cost reasons. I mean, it's a it's a massive healthcare burden. Uh, you know, the whole mental illness. Uh, issue, um, but even maybe, you know, and, and that's important. But even maybe more importantly, is it's uh, it's hard. Oh, it's hard on it's, families. It's hard on families. You know, I, I I've only uh, had to be around that kind of a situation indirectly, but as I've talked to people who deal with it almost on a daily basis, it is exhausting. It's yeah. draining. We uh, just had my mother-in-law just passed away after 14 years of Alzheimer's. Wow. And was the healthiest woman you've ever seen. In fact, her heart wouldn't stop in the end. Yeah. It just didn't want to stop. And yeah. it took – so – and she was exercising all the time. And yet and now there's other things, dietary issues you oh, yeah. wonder about. And But how do we how do we know – you know, what is the research saying? What do we – what can we do? Well, there's some really – I mean, this is – it kind of exploded since the 1990s and – uh, it's exponentially growing as well. The amount of research that's been done as neuroscience technology is advancing and people are better able to study the brain uh, in humans. Now, a lot of this research originally was done in animals because the animal 
would have to be sacrificed after some kind of treatment or protocol in order to, you know, see the effects on, you know, something on the brain. But now with uh, the technology and, and magnetic resonance imaging and all kinds of things, they're able to do this in humans. And uh, so, so the, the, the research is, is pretty incredible nowadays. I do just want to mention one sort of unofficial piece of research that I actually uh, conducted as I was learning more about this a few years ago, especially. I, uh, I, I teach a chronic disease class on campus, and I had two sections of it, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And I told one of the classes, the morning class, I think it was, about some of this information on exercise and how it helps memory functioning and brain functioning and helps you to uh, uh, process information better. You know, there have been studies, Matt Dunn, like, for example, in elderly people where uh, they're asked a series of questions that have practical implications, like to think of all the ways that you could use a newspaper. Mm -hmm. That was one of the questions that was asked. And in a group that exercised, they thought of significantly more ways to use a newspaper. You know, like, you know, you can roll it up and smack a fly or right, something right. like that. Then the group that didn't exercise. So as I was becoming aware of that research, I thought, oh, I'm going to share this with my class. And I, it, you know, this was not a controlled trial or, you know, there was, it, this was just me kind of having fun with my students. And I, I, I told my morning class, I said, you don't have to do this, but I want you to, if you will, before you go take the first test, uh, within at least 30 minutes of taking the test, I want you to exercise, aerobic exercise, for at least 20 minutes. Hmm. And then within, the within 30 minutes, go take the test. And, and I didn't say that to the afternoon class. Oh, so you compared. Yeah, cool. And, yeah, and guess what happened? Uh, the earlier class did better. They did. By what percent? By, by about 5%. Interesting. Yeah, so, I mean, that's pretty significant. You yeah. know, so let's say, you know, the afternoon class, maybe the mean on the test was an 80. The mean on the morning class was an 85. Just by working out. Yeah, and and that was just, you know, sort of anecdotal. But uh, since then, a lot of research has been done in that area. And some studies now, you know, coming out of all kinds of places, universities and uh, medical schools. I just read one recently about the acute effects of exercise. And we're talking about a a two-minute bout of exercise, two minutes. Do they call that exercise? I, well, I guess they I can. Guess. But, two minutes of aerobic. So, 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 so just two minutes. I, I think it was walking, brisk, oh, wow. brisk walking. Yeah, two minutes of brisk walking, and then that was followed by a, a memory assessment, a memory test, kind of a recall sort mm-hmm. of a thing. And those that exercised for two minutes did better on the test than those that sat just prior to taking the test. So. So, so the the effect yeah. of your movement can can be essentially immediate, apparently. Yeah. But there's other there's other good well, research. Well, everybody out there. needs a little bump, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's other there's, there's other good research out there uh, as well. There was one in particular, uh, and this study was done a few years ago, um, but they looked at women. Uh, these were uh, older women. I think the age was like uh, 55 and older. And uh, and they looked at uh, schizophrenia, Alzheimer's, and and what they call cognitive decline, which usually you know relates to memory, and uh, and and this was a longitudinal study. So they basically compared over time yeah. the most active to the least active women, and uh, and it was pretty fascinating uh, what they found. The most now most active didn't mean that you know they were extreme. Right. It just meant that they were you know getting a basically a moderate amount, whereas the other group was sedentary. And they had as much as 50% 
less incidence of Alzheimer's wow. disease. Wow. So, Over so, the longitudinal study. So, so the risk amazing. was cut in half for Alzheimer's. And, and similar you know, percentages were seen for schizophrenia mm-hmm. and for cognitive Well, decline. and that could be for a lot of reasons. For social, because you're out more, mm-hmm. you're talking more, you're using your brain maybe more, yeah. engaging yeah. more. And, and, and one of the really cool things is you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, you know, aren't there traditional therapies? Yeah. You know, what about that? So a number of studies, uh, and these are, these are randomized clinical trials. These are fairly, you know, potent study designs in terms of their, their strength. And uh, a number of these studies have been done to compare the effects of exercise, again, at different durations, at different intensities, in different uh, modes of exercise, uh, to traditional therapies, including like uh, psychotherapy mm. and prescription medication. I mean, right now there's over 30 prescription medications that are used just for depression alone. Yeah, yeah. And, and I am not aware of a single study that didn't show that exercise was at least, if not more effective then, than traditional therapies, including cow. prescription medication. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty potent. Right. And you can see there are other benefits associated with the exercise as well, right? I mean, right. one is it could be for free, whereas prescription that's medication right. or psychotherapy is not. But the way it affects you in, in other aspects of your health, it you know, improves uh, your blood pressure, it improves your body composition, it improves your cardiovascular disease mm-hmm. risk, you know, all kinds of other things that you don't get with, you know, say, taking a, taking a medication. Yeah. I lo- oh, man. And it, and it gets rid of melancholy. <laughs> and it gets rid of melancholy. Which is half of the battle. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. Ron, we appreciate you because this – it seems like a no-brainer, but when we get to the data – and just your passion, I think, helps, too. I wish you could remember yeah. when you had to be on the show. I, I will not forget again. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to exercise today. Because you exercise so much, but you still couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Ron Hager, Dr. Ron Hager, we appreciate you. Um, Thanks for having show. me. We'll be back in uh, just a minute with our buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. Uh, here to help us hopefully live longer and remember why we're doing it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down. No pun intended to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? How are you? Solid. Solid as a rock. Hey, I don't know why we're playing this song. Yeah, I was just uh, wondering the same thing. What what kind of a message are you trying to send? Just, you know, outrun our gun. (laughs) (laughs) That seems weird. Pretty serious topic. We'll talk to Ben about it after. Yeah. Hey, um... Did you guys watch the Grammys? No. Not one minute. Are you no. kidding? No. I thought you guys would just eat that up. No. my. I mean, DVR is a wonderful thing, so my wife wants to watch it, and I was like, she's like, do you want to watch it tonight? I said, no, you watch it tomorrow by yourself. I wanted to watch <laughs> it, but my wife and I watched a movie. And what, then, what movie? Uh, 50 First Dates. I'm so sorry. You chose Adam Sandler no, was that and Drew more over the Grammys. No, I chose my wife there you over go. the Grammys. There you go. No, that? Smart. Super smart. Yeah. No, I, I recorded the Grammys as well. You'll watch it later. I would, I would like, yeah, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy that stuff a lot, so I'll watch it later. Well, I know you do. You, you guys drop, you know, drop into song any chance you get, which is... We love the music. I don't need to watch the Grammys to do that. Hey, do you guys... <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to. You can just nope. do that anytime you want. 
It's America. Hey, um, do you guys feel as bad for Kanye West as I do? Uh, no. What happened? He's $53 million in debt. That's on Kanye. And he's been asking people like Mark Zuckerberg if they'd invest a billion dollars into his Kanye West ideas. He's it's sad. He seems a little off. I have me. very, um, very little sympathy for millionaires. You, you don't. Uh, you really, yeah, but, yeah. I, I do. Like, hey, hi. You have a lot of money. Hire someone that knows what they're doing with it to and take help you care manage of it. your finances. Yeah, I have very little sympathy. For no, me. but his is more like he's tried to launch a clothing line. You gotta be. You gotta feel sad for that. Don't. Do that unless it's like a proven business model that will reap success, and you've discussed it with your accountants and financial consultants. He he's also married to a Kardashian, yeah. who makes, by the way, like fifty three million dollars a year. Yeah, it's hard though. <laughs> it's just really hard. It's he, hard to keep your peeps. You know, I'm going to together. I'm going to quote our good friend. Thomas S. Monson here. Decisions okay. determine destiny. destiny. Wow. Yeah, that's a better song than we were playing earlier. <laughs> that was good, guys. <laughs> that was really good. Decisions determine destiny. Kanye West <laughs> yeah, could, get out of, could get out of debt in a month if he really wanted to. Why is he? Why is he even telling people that he's fifty three million dollars in debt? Because he needs money. Ask Kim then. Because he's desperate. I think Kim's smart. She's married to him and has children with him. All right, maybe she's not that smart. You think Kim's smart? (laughs) (laughs) That's the most shocking thing you've heard of. She's smart enough to not give him the money. There you go. But see, he's got friends. Mark Zuckerberg. Hey, if you met Mark, wouldn't you say, "Look, man, throw me a bill." Come on. No, nope, generally would, don't ask him for money the first time I meet him. I would try and put myself in a situation where I didn't need to ask my friend for $53 million. I've contributed money to Kanye West. He came in concert with U2 back in Ooh, yeah. 05, yeah. which was the most random pairing of all time. So, so I walked into the song Gold Digger. <laughs> you did? And boy, how apropos. And it, and it was a crazy environment in Salt Lake City. Sell your assets. Sell all of the stuff. There has to be a way that Kanye West... We're talking way too long about Kanye ...can West. get let's out talk of about debt. something else. Um, let's talk about something else. <laughs> it is your show. You, you tell us what you want to um, do. Okay, now answer this one. Another tweet from Kanye West about Bill Cosby's innocence. Oh, boy. Anyway, oh, let's just keep moving. Um <laughs> How about that? How about those BYU girls, that basketball team? Are you kidding me? The women's team is killing it. 14 straight. We're going to talk to their head coach, Jeff Judkins, today about the science behind a 14-game win streak and why getting to 15 straight is absolutely a necessary for this team. Mm. What rides on that 15th potential straight win? Love it. That's going to be a great guest. Hey, um, just real fast before you get to your other guests. Mm-hmm. Did you guys um, watch the All-Star event? 196 points. Oh, yes, we did. The glorified shoot-around? Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about them not letting John oh, – no, jo, jo, uh, Paul George. What's his name? Paul George. Yeah, Paul George. Paul George. Coached in college by former BYU head coach Steve Cleveland at what, Fresno State. Why don't, why don't we – why didn't they let him just pass the, the mark? Why didn't they let him just – Because they turned on the defense for yeah. two minutes. They triple-teamed the guy. 
Sometimes you have to do that. I thought it was kind of funny, actually. It was we hilarious. did that with Spencer in the lunchroom. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. Too much eating. Like, I know, but you can see Spencer's it, hips through his jeans. You got to get that guy some food. <laughs> Skeletor over here. <laughs> you know what's funny? I weigh more now than I ever have in my entire life. Dude, that's not funny. That's sad. Seriously. I feel bad for you. Why? I don't. I'm not. If you want sickly. some of my belly fat, I'll give you some belly fat. I'm not sickly. No, you're not. Okay, what else is on your show today, gentlemen? Who's the best men's basketball team in the West Coast Conference right now? Mm. That's is that my? Are you asking me that? Yeah. Is it BYU? Is it Gonzaga? Is it St. Mary's? I'm going with the G Dogs. You going with Gonzaga? Yeah. Yeah, we're only uh, two weeks left in the regular season. Yeah. Well, like a week and a half. So it's it's down to the wire here, and yeah. there could be one bid from the league. There could be I don't know two. I don't think three is in the cards. No but way. Yeah, maybe two. Right now it's probably a, like a one point three uh, bid league or something weird. But then, who they you know somebody will get to go to the NIT. Do they still call it that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's like what sixty. Thirty two. Thirty two. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well. The pinnacle, sorry, the benchmark, pinnacle is a national championship. Yeah. The benchmark getting for BYU is getting to the NCAA tournament. Right, you got to get there. field of 68. So you're going to discuss that. Well, we're going to discuss who's the best team in the WCC right now. Yeah, who, and right what now. And what it means for the NCAA. Okay. Anything else real fast? Jonah Trineman, exciting, dynamic football signee for BYU. Receiver. Receiver will join us. Man. As well as Matt Brown of SB Nation talking about just how difficult BYU football's 2016 schedule will be. He, he kind of argues that it isn't as hard as people think. Yeah, which is a fresh take. And, of course, the Kanye West fundraiser. Kanye will join us uh, coming up in the D-Blog. That's a must-listen to, folks, at the top of the hour. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. It. Didn't he just release a new album, by the way? Yeah, he did. He's going to make money. It'll be fine. You'd think he'd make money. It'll be fine. Not 53 mil, though. Welcome, gentlemen. I mean, uh, have a great show tonight. Yeah, Today, yeah, we won't blow you. it. We won't, we won't tip it over. Don't mess it okay. up. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. I think just the fundraiser for Kanye is great. It's great for BYU Sports Nation to do that. Hey, um, listen to this. Talk about weird. Danish police respond to a heated Star Wars fight. A heated and apparently drunken dispute over the strength of the Republic in the Star Wars films led to an unusual call for police in Frederica over the weekend. I guess that's in – I don't know where that is. Um, Two young men, aged 17 and 18, were arguing so vehemently that nearby neighbors resorted to reporting them to police. When police responded to the call at 5.10 in the morning on Sunday morning, they tried to calm the Star Wars fanatics down. We indeed did encounter two people who were yelling and screaming at each other, and the thing they were so loudly discussing were their differing opinions on the strength of the Republic in Star Wars. Police offered officers decided to charge the more vociferous of the two with disturbing the peace, but the young man initially refused to give his name. Instead, claiming to be a Sith Lord, he said his name was Count Dooku. Man. That is so sad. So, so sad. 
They're fighting over the republic, the strength of the republic. The republic it's, is not strong. It's just sad that so few people support the republic nowadays. I know. Totally agree. And don't have anything else to do. Hey, uh, in the uh, bad boys file, what they're going to do now, folks, in D.C. is they're going to make it so that uh, people will be paid stipends in D.C. not to commit crimes. They say crime doesn't pay, but that might not be entirely true in the District of Columbia as lawmakers look for ways to discourage people from becoming repeat offenders. The D.C. Council is voting on a bill Tuesday that includes a proposal to pay residents a stipend not to commit crimes. It's based on a program in Richmond, California, that advocates say has contributed to deep reductions in crime there. Under the bill, city officials would identify up to 200 people a year who are considered at risk of either committing or becoming victims of violent crime. These people would be directed to participate in behavioral therapy and other programs. If they fulfill those obligations, they stay out of trouble, they would get paid. Wow. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not just giving them money, right? You're actually going to have them go get some mental health support. That could be good. Except you might also just improve the jobs in the area. Use some of the money to... You know, spark innovation and other jobs. Anyway, we like to always end on a hero story. So let's go to the Chicago police officers, John Connolly and Mike Modzaluski. Officers Connolly and Modzaluski had been partners for about a year before a fateful fall evening in September. The officers had responded to dozens of shootings since working together, but the situation they would soon encounter was an unusual one. Connolly and Modzaluski arrived on the scene of chaos. About 100 people filled the street, crying and screaming and shouting. The officers found five people shot, all of them victims of a drive-by shooting. One of them was an 11-month-old named Princeton Chu. Princeton's mother and grandmother were both shot and lay bleeding on the street. A woman ran up to the officers holding the baby, and they knew they had to act quickly. The department policy is never to remove a victim from the scene and to wait for an ambulance, but there was no ambulance in sight, and Princeton was losing blood quickly. Connolly knew what had to be done. He jumped in the driver's seat of their police car, while Modzaluski jumped in the back, holding Princeton, applying pressure to the wound. The closest trauma center was nine miles away. They called ahead to let them know they were coming in hot. Reaching the hospital, they ran into the hospital and handed Princeton off to the emergency personnel who were already waiting to go. Officers, supervisors were grateful for the officers' quick thinking. I don't think, uh, they said, I don't think it's different from what other men and women would do to, to just sacrifice to help a friend. Anyway, officers, you are our are, are heroes. John Connolly, Mike Modzaluski. Thanks for showing us what uh, being a hero looks like. That's the show, folks. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care.